Blog Talk Radio. With those versatile sounds, what we about is DJ my name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the president and founder of the West Foundation. West, 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 West Foundation. West, Foundation. West. What is West? West, 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 West,
Uh, I believe we all should find our passion and our purpose. But if you aren't willing to put in the work, you aren't going to be successful. The beauty of finding your passion and your purpose is it makes putting the work in easier. I've been coaching uh, for 25 years, and my wife often asks, if we win the lottery tomorrow, we win $100 million, what are you going to do? And I'm going to work because I love what I do. That's my passion. So if you have your passion, if you found your purpose, putting in the work is easier. But even if you found your passion, you found your purpose, if you refuse to do the work, you're not going to find success. And there's sometimes you do the work and you still don't find success, but the guarantee is if you don't do the work, you won't find it. Now, I had one of my players once told me, um, he was actually talking about a freshman. This freshman was a little lazy, um, but he had aspirations of playing at the next level. And he said, Coach, that young man over there has million-dollar dreams but a minimum wage work ethic. And those two don't go together. If you don't put that work in, Behind the scenes, you're not going to see that success out in front, and that is a promise. Uh, there is no such thing as an overnight success. I promise you, anybody that, that is, seems like they're an overnight success, they put a lot of work behind the scenes that nobody saw uh, because the grind is real. Now, here's something we also got to make sure of, that you understand that you can't let anybody tell you that you can't do something. You got to grind. You got to work. I can't listen to the naysayers. I got to find a way to get it done. You know, one of the quotes that I often used to tell my guys uh, was by the Attila Hunt. And it was, if you can't find a way, make one. But the key is, I cannot quit. You cannot quit. Whatever you do, don't quit. You might have to shift a little bit, but don't quit. You can never win if you quit. And what often happens is when it's the darkest, the hardest, and you're ready to quit, it's right at the moment that you're about to have a breakthrough. So whatever you do, just fight through it. Remember, it's the grind. And if I don't go through the grind, I'm not going to appreciate what I get in the first place. So remember that the grind is real. But if it wasn't for the grind, you really wouldn't appreciate what you had. And here's a quote to finish up today. Uh, finish up this part of the uh, segment. Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Your income is directly related to your philosophy, not the economy. And for the things change, you must change. By Gerald Shore. Again, for things to change, you must change. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. So if you call yourself grinding and you're not getting the, the uh, results that you want, you got to check yourself. Am I grinding the right way? Because there's times when, when you aren't doing things right. You know, once uh, I, I like to play a little golf. And I remember I was getting ready to go hit some balls once. And the pro said, would you send your players out there uh, to practice by yourself? Because if you just go out there and just pound balls, you're going to keep doing the same thing you've been doing before, so you need to go in and make some tweaks here or there. So there's times you got to tweak. But the bottom line is that you got to understand that the ground is real, but you got to make sure you check yourself and make sure you're doing the right things. But today, I have a uh, young man that is 
definitely going. He's been a friend of mine for a long time, and uh, he's still uh, doing a great job coaching. Mr. Ware, how's everything going? All is well, Coach. All is well. Well, good, good. Now, you're you're out there in the Twin Cities now. Where are you coaching at? I'm currently coaching at McAllister College, a small Division three school in St. Paul, Minnesota. Nice, nice. And I imagine you all are not playing because of COVID. Correct. So are you all planning on having a spring season, or what are you all doing? Well, that is the objective. The best thing about it is we're moving conferences. We actually need to move from the Midwest Conference, and we're joining the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, which is one of the perennial Division Three conferences in America. Um, we are actually planning right now to play a spring schedule of five games. Okay. And I imagine that would be all conference games, right? Yes, sir. Um, we we have a we have two divisions, uh, you know, and they split them up. And usually uh, after four games, what's going to happen is the, the top seed, the, the, the one with the most wins will play the one from the other side, two versus two, three versus three, four, four, et cetera. For the right. fifth game, okay. that's how we're going to do it. So everybody will get a fifth game. Yes. Right. Everybody and the reason why they chose five, yeah, the reason why they chose five is because of eligibility, you know, with the okay. rules, you know, the NCAA said less than five games, everyone keeps their eligibility. Right, right. Okay. And I guess the other good thing about five games um, is kind of like spring practice, except for instead of having a scrimmage at the end of the week, you got a game. Correct. Yes, which, which is, is good. It's good for the yeah, good for the freshmen. Exactly, exactly. It's and it's good to because you know one of the, the tough things about spring practice is you you definitely you're beating up on yourself and, and you get tired of hitting each other. So being able to hit somebody else every week uh, for a couple of weeks would be a good thing. Yes, that'll be a good thing. So well, good. The um, now you all are moving conferences. Uh, how is uh? You all compared to the other people in the conference. I know you all probably haven't played any of the teams in the conference right now, but just looking at it on film, how do you all compare? Well, McAllister was one of the founding members of the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Um, okay. Approximately 20 years ago, they decided to move out um, because there wasn't any parity. Um, just to give you an idea, I mean, you know uh, the historic and the traditions of St. John's, the St. Thomas's, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, in, in Division Three football. Well, they're members of this conference. So, okay. you know, McAllister being a high academic school, um, couldn't compete with them back back then. The numbers, the rosters, size, and things of that nature just didn't, they didn't line up. So they decided to move right. out of the conference to um, the Midwest Conference. And now, you know, with the great work of Coach Tony Jennison, who's been the head coach here for the last, 15 years, um, he's mm-hmm. built the roster sizes up. So nice. Um, we're make, ready to make the move. Well, good, good. Now, before we start talking about you know some of the games now, you know, just talk about mm-hmm. building the roster size. Recruiting has got to be a bear right now, um, not just from from the, from the college coaches' perspective, but from the high school players' perspective, because you can't get on campus and it's it's just hard. So how has it been for you all? Oh, it's it's 
very hard. Um, you know, COVID's, you know, fighting everyone and no one's mm-hmm. safe. And what I mean by that is um, it, it, it created a level playing field and it put recruiting back on the families itself. But getting people to come and see the schools right now is hard because campuses are closed to, um, to the public. And, uh, you know, you have to be strategic. And, you know, some young men who are playing their seasons, if they fly and come see you, now they have to quarantine for two weeks after they get back. So they didn't want to lose their season. So, yeah, we just have to, you know, wait and wait and see and see how, see how it turns out. So I'll imagine that signing date is actually tomorrow, right? For, yes, for Division One, Correct. Right. Yes. So – how many, and this is an opinion, because again, I know you're Division three, but how many kids yeah. aren't going to sign tomorrow because they haven't had an opportunity to get on campus? Well, I can say the guys that do sign are students mm-hmm. that have had an opportunity to, to come and see the school as a sophomore, junior, early right. um, mm-hmm. in, their, in, their, in their careers. Um, and those are also young men that had an opportunity to their relationships with those coaches prior to COVID. Um, yeah. that's, that's, that's the tough part. Yes. And I would imagine because you, they, nobody got out in the spring. So unless they were a legitimate prospect as a sophomore, um, they wouldn't have had an opportunity to do that. Because again, their junior year you know, um, would have been the spring when they got around. So uh, there's got to be a small number of kids, huh? A very small number of kids. And I and I honestly think it's going to be like the wild, wild west once recruiting opens up this spring if right. they open it up this spring. And how is it going to be what, – so, what is the word for – because the next signing date, the first one is the interview. I don't think – they're going to open recruiting up, and there's still going to be a dead period for the Division One at that point. Um, so is it going to, much going to change between now and February? Well, I, I don't think so at the Division One level, but also you got to mm-hmm. think about it. Um, all the freshmen didn't lose their eligibility this year. Right. I know it's right. a financial burden, but mm-hmm. um, do, do you have to fill in another class right now as a, as a, as a college? I mean, you can you can you can load up, but you you really already have your freshman class. Right, right. That's true. That's true. And from what I understand, um, I have to talk to a couple of athletic directors and some other uh, college coaches that the NCAA is just saying the seniors need to get another year. So if you had eighty-five and all of a sudden you got seven seniors that want to come back, you got ninety-two this year. Um, yeah. But the school has to be able to afford it. And right. a lot of schools can't afford it. So then they got to go and look, do I just hold on to my seniors or do I go sign another kid? But I don't know how many of them are going to be able to do both. Sure. I think it's going to be selective. You know, by, by position, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Especially yep. Exactly. Because I imagine there's going to be some seniors that don't want to come back. I imagine there'll be some teams that don't want to come back and want to go on and do whatever. Um, but I would imagine that a, a lot would want to come back and, and get out to play one more time. Yeah. 
So, so we'll see. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, but speaking of interesting, you know, there was, there was a lot of good games um, on this past week. One, Penn State is on the road. Um, it was good to see Penn State get another uh, win, and I guess they're, they've settled down. COVID had their, their number early, and uh, I think they're good to go now. And so we'll see what happens with Penn State as, as they continue to get it better. Um, there was a big game uh, in the in Conference USA last week. It was UAB and Rice. So you're kind of like, why is that game so big? I think Rice is a little better. Um, yeah, and it was actually a pretty close game, um, 21 to 16. But the thing was this: if Rice would have won, UTSA would have went to the conference championship. Of course, UAB had their own had their destiny in their hands. So if they win, they go to the conference championship. So UAB is going to play Marshall in the conference championship. But it was kind of interesting for UTSA because if UAB wins, they played on the 18th in the bowl game. If UAB loses, they play the conference championship on the 19th and then play a bowl game later. Uh, so they knew they were going to be playing you know, this coming weekend, but it was like, are we playing the conference championship? Are we playing the bowl game? Uh, so yeah. that was uh, really different. Um, good to see Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, who would have thought Coastal Carolina would be ranked number nine in the country and sitting at 11-0? Great game by them. Great yeah, game. They, I mean, they, they had a great they, season. A great season. They're, they're, they are faster than what people think. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. and, and that's the fun to watch. Yep, exactly. And I had a – of course, I had opportunity to be at Coastal last year, and uh, they got a tight end, and Isaiah Likely, that I think most of the NFL people are going to be chasing hard um, because there's not too many with – his size and speed and, and ability to block and ability to do things with the ball in his hands. He's a different, he's a different player. So they got a lot of good players on that team. And, and uh, I look forward to seeing them do well against ULL this weekend in the, in the conference championship. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that could have happened. We just going to sort of talk in general. Um, of course, the Clemson, Notre Dame game is going to be huge next week. So we're sort of talking about the what ifs. So if Clemson beats Notre Dame, do both of them get to the final four or, or to the playoffs or just one of them get to the playoffs? Um, Miami, of course, would have been sitting there saying that, hey, we got we should get a chance to get in there too because we only got one loss. But Miami went up against North Carolina, and North Carolina, um, they had a really good day against Miami. So uh, they score took points. Yeah, they, I mean, you score, you score, you score more than fifty points in the game in a, in a definitely in the ACC or uh, conference. Um, that, that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. And then on the in the SEC, it was okay. You got Alabama and Florida in the SEC championship. So if Florida beat Alabama. Does Florida go and does Alabama go? But then Florida lost to LSU this past weekend. So now they're pretty much out because they got two losses. So even if they beat Alabama, I don't know if they get a chance to play in, in the uh, in the playoffs. Um, but did you see the, the the Florida LSU game? I did. I did. Um, 
and they were that they young were man. I know is. Uh, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they had a blanket party in the uh, in the locker room. That man, he, oh, he wow. threw that shoe. He threw that shoe, and it was they would have had to punt the ball. It'd have been Florida's ball, an opportunity to go ice the game, and uh, gave them an opportunity to come or continue that drive. And then the kicker hit a 57-yard field goal and probably had another five or ten yards on his foot. Uh, so that was strong. Yeah. And then Florida came right back down. And what was a 40, it was probably about a 44, 45-yarder that he missed. Um, but that was a really good game. It's a really good game. Uh, of course, if you were the, if you were a fan, it was a great game. If you LSU, it was a great game. If you Florida, you hated it. You hated it. And then not too long after that, did you get opportunity to see any of the USC UCLA game? No, I did not see that game, but I heard it was a, a barn burner. Well, UCLA goes up by two points with 52 seconds left in the game. Almost identical to what happened in Florida and LSU. And the kickoff team just sort of jogged down the field. And I say jogs. He just made it. Everybody just made their, just made their blocks. But he returns it to, to the 40, to the 44, 45-yard line. And then uh, the next play, they throw one up, and he mosses, he mosses a guy. And then they throw the ball to him again in the end zone, and they end up winning, uh, forty-three to thirty-eight. So it was a it was another really good game, a game that UCLA, with less than a minute left, was like, we got this one, we got this one, and then fifty seconds later, they uh, they they didn't have it. So it's great game. It was a great game, though. great game. The uh, USC is trying to put together a good resume. Huh? Yep. They are. They are. And uh, it's good to see USC back in the mix, which, you know, uh, I recruited in, in California before. And one of the things that, that I realized, if USC wants a kid, it's tough to get them out of California. Once. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. The um, BYU was able to bounce back um, after uh, that loss to Coastal Carolina last week and, and beat a, a pretty good San Diego State team. Uh, but of course, last week we still had a bunch of cancellations. Um, you had Old Texas A&M that was canceled. You had Oklahoma and West Virginia that was canceled. Miami of Ohio and Bowling Green, Ohio and Kent State, Michigan and Ohio State. Now let's let's talk about that one just for a second. Now they made in the, uh, a rule at the beginning. The Big Ten did. If you didn't play six games, you couldn't play in the conference championship. And that game got canceled. But they made a an adjustment, or I guess had a waiver for that rule and let Ohio State play in the conference championship. What do you think about that? I just don't think it's fair. And if you are going to make that change, they should have canceled that Northwestern game last week in versus Illinois. They knew, I mean, you knew if Ohio State was going to make it from that side, and you already knew that regardless of the outcome that Northwestern was going to, uh, regardless of the outcome of the Northwestern-Illinois game, you knew Northwestern was going to be in that championship game. Make a level playing field and let let them have that bye week as well, just like the Mm -hmm. ACC. I mean, Clemson Clemson and Notre Dame had the week off. 
you know, right. before they play this game. So let's make it a level playing field. Um, I, I, I honestly, I mean, Ohio State has and uh, has been for the last few years in that category with the Clemsons and the Alabamas. Um, mm-hmm. That it's like you know they make rules for those three those three teams. Um, right. And right. I think right here they got they got one of those rules right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's all about the duck, the bottom line, and I think that they know that they want the Big Ten representative to be Ohio State. Right, right. And and truth be told, I, I truly believe that if that running back doesn't get hurt last year, um, they, mm-hmm. they beat Clemson if he doesn't if he doesn't get tweaked. Um, but yep. Hey, but if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, every day would be Christmas, right? Correct. Um, but making a lot now, of here, here's another interesting thing that happened. Um, the Arkansas State and the Carnet World game got canceled. Uh, so that was the last game for Arkansas State. So their head coach decided to go in and take another job. He took the Utah State job. And uh, so they're in the process of uh, hiring another coach at Arkansas State. Then uh, Purdue and Indiana got canceled, which Indiana, um, they're having a great year. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. That quarterback's pretty good. Yeah. Well, before he got hurt. Right, right. Texas and Kansas got canceled. Cincinnati and Tulsa. California and Washington State. Washington and Oregon. Utah State and Colorado State. Um, And then one, uh, also Charlotte and Marshall got canceled. But uh, the one that sort of hurt um, was Arizona State and Arizona. Um, Arizona State put it on Arizona pretty good, and, and it cost Kevin Sumlin. I don't know if that was the only thing. I'm sure it wasn't, um, but that was definitely the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and and uh, that's the part of the industry you definitely don't like when coaches get let go, um, which another one uh, that happened was Lovey Smith over at Illinois, and then also, which I didn't, I really didn't see this one coming, was Gus Manzone over at uh, So that's three head coaches that got let go um, over the weekend. And here with COVID, I just didn't think there'd be a lot of changes here in this environment just because of this year was so different. You know, you didn't get the opportunity to have spring practice. You didn't get opportunities for those guys to really work out in, in the summertime, so it's pretty much let's roll the ball out and play. So it was such a different year. But, hey, uh, there's been, what is that, six changes so far this year? Yes, yes. And I agree with you. I mean, COVID, this is, I mean, I know as a football coach, you know, you carry a lot of titles. I mean, your head football coach, equipment manager, travel agent, Psychologist, uh, mentor, you know, um, but with COVID, um, this thing has put put one more hat on us, and uh, it's, it's been hard. It's hard on yeah. every single level. Um, and and, and uh, I, I I I believe the same thing like you. I didn't think it was going to be a lot of change this season um, because of because of that. Right. 
Right. Yeah, but hey, it is what it is. But hey, we're going to get ready to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with our first guest here in a second. So hold on, and we'll be back in a few. How's everybody doing? This is Everett Sand. Um, got my co-host Kiwan Ware with me, and we are back, and we have our first guest of the night. 
um, Mr. Corey Jackson. Corey, how's everything going? Everything's good, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Now, you have a very unique story. Um, you ha- did have opportunity to play professional football, and you have a very unique story. And uh, so tell us a little bit how you uh, transitioned from one sport to another and got an opportunity to play at the high level. Yeah, yeah. So so I was a basketball player uh, pretty much my whole life. In fact, uh, when I was in high school, um, one of my high school football coaches, we got into it because I didn't play football, and he was so upset with me. <laughs> and so he was like, well, you know, if you don't play football, uh, you get you got to at least play two sports. And if you don't play football, you're not going to be able to play basketball. Right. And so uh, I, I went home that summer. I think I was like a freshman. Mm-hmm. I, went, I went home that summer, and I was like, well, I, I really want to play basketball, but, you know, I don't know about this football thing. And uh, I came back to school, uh, and I had grooves about six foot five. And the basketball coach was like, man, forget what the football coach was talking about. <laughs> he was like, man, you can play basketball. And so uh, that's kind of how kind of kind of journey got started. But when I got to college, um, I was always a physical basketball player, very athletic mm-hmm. but very physical. Um, went to uh, University of Nevada, uh, became one of the top rebounders in the nation, um, averaged a double-double, um, went to uh, the summer league, in the NBA summer league, pro league, um, didn't get picked up. And so I was like, well, I don't want to go to Europe. I had a couple offers to go to Europe, but I didn't really want to go. So I went mm-hmm. back to University of Nevada to finish my degree. And lo and behold, I run into one of the football coaches, and he was like, hey, man, you've been playing the wrong sport. He was like, mm-hmm. you need to come out here on the football field. And so obviously you get five years of eligibility. I only used four for basketball, so I had another year. Right. And so I played that semester, um, ended up playing. They, they, uh, I didn't play a lot. That's, that's the crazy thing. I, um, it was a hard transition for me because um, it was a barrier there from, from language to technique. To, it was a lot to learn, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so I ended up playing 12 plays. And so, the whole year? Um, the whole, yeah, the whole year I played 12 plays. Wow. And the funny thing about that was we had a pro day at the school, and I'm, I'm at my apartment because I started back focusing on basketball, so I guess I go to Europe. And right. the football coach is calling me saying, hey, man, we got like 30 NFL scouts up here asking about you. And so I go up there, and all these scouts are in there. It was crazy because they knew who I was. Right. And they was like, and this is a funny thing, and, and I tell people, you know, you got you to, gotta like, anything that you do, you got to do to the best of your ability, right? And you got to make sure you're putting that out into the world every day. Because when I went into talk to the scouts, the coach said, well, they were watching some film on you, and they really liked what they saw. And I was like, well, I only played 12 plays, so what could they possibly have seen, right? And they said, no, no, they watched basketball film. Oh. And so that's what they saw. Like, they saw the athleticism. They saw the size and the speed. And, and I did that workout, and literally, like, five minutes after that workout, my phone was blowing up with agents. It was crazy. Mm. Like, I mean, it was just insane. Um, and then I ended up signing with Cleveland Brown, Cleveland Browns that spring. Um, and they gave me an option. They said, well, what, what position you want to play? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> They're like, what position do you want to play? 
you know, because they, they asked me, you know, you want to play tight end, defensive end, linebacker, what do you want to do? And so I decided to play defensive end. Um, but it was a, it was an unbelievable experience. Mm, sounds like it. Sounds like it. Now, how many years you play in the league? So I ended up playing four and a half years in the league. I played um, partially with uh, the Browns. I started off with the Browns, so I did two and a half years with them. Um, then I went out to Denver and uh, finished up in Denver. Actually, uh, football is so crazy. Um, I ended up going to NFL Europe my rookie year. Um, that's when they still had NFL Europe. Mm-hmm. And um, became the defensive MVP of that league over there, came back. Um, but I tell people I played for the Browns for two and a half years, um, but I got cut from the Browns like three times. <laughs> so, so it's, it's crazy how, you know, you go through these experiences and you have no idea what it's going to be like until you actually face it and, and, and go through it. Um, but, but when I finished up in Denver, I actually didn't know I was done because I, you know, I got injured. Mm-hmm. And I'm rehabbing to come back right. and got injured again. Mm. Um, and so after the second injury, I'm like, okay, I, I need to think about something different. You know, this, right. is, uh, exactly. this is getting a little bit, you know, getting a little, too, you know, too tough. And, you know, it's hard to keep coming back because everybody's moving on. Like the teams are moving on, you know, coaches mm-hmm. are moving to different teams. Things are happening. So it's very difficult to to, to get back. Um, And so I just had to switch my mind to to another gear. So what did you do after that? Yeah, so um, fortunately for me, um, I started uh, my first company while I was still in the league. um, And we started uh, working in real estate. We started working with commercial real estate. Um, I partnered with a group out of D.C., and that kind of got my feet wet, just in you know entrepreneurship and, and, and business in, in, in general. Um, and then from there, I had an opportunity to start speaking. So I started traveling, um, speaking at different conferences, uh, speaking at software companies, um, mm-hmm. universities, just all over the place. Um, and so that was really great for me, um, just doing that, getting out there, sharing my story, my message. Um, one of the things we didn't touch on is kind of how I got into college. Um, I didn't. I was one of the guys that didn't get recruited for college. Kind of, really? kind of going back to what you guys were saying. I was playing the wrong sport, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, from a small school, small town, didn't really get noticed, and so I didn't right. get recruited for college. And so I ended up spending a year working at Walmart. Um, okay. And then you know, after that year. I still didn't have no prospects, but I knew a junior college that was in Texas. And so I bought a one-way bus ticket, showed up uh, to the school, and just walked into the gym. I wasn't mm. enrolled in the school, didn't apply for the school, anything. Just walked into the gym, guys in there playing, walked onto the court, got in the game, dunked on three guys, and the coach was like, wait a minute, who is this? <laughs> and uh, he, he came on the court and, and – Said, listen, I don't know where you came from, why you came here, but we want you on this team. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's how that's how I got into school. So it was one of those things where, like, my whole story has been unorthodox, um, mm-hmm. not the traditional story. Um, right. When you talk about no. getting getting to where you want to be, you got to put it on the line. You got to you know right. you got to put your money where your mouth is. 
you know, and at that time, I believed that I was supposed to be in college. I believed I was supposed to be playing at a high level, so I, I spent that money on a ticket. And matter of fact, that was the last, that was all the money I had. Wow. Now, where are you from? I'm from, uh, I grew up in Cassett, South Carolina, right outside of Camden. Okay. Yep. And I, I went to North Central High School. Okay. Yep. I know North Central. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so you, uh, so your that wasn't just a bus ticket, uh, you know, a couple of hours away. That's a <laughs> twenty plus hours. It was two days without man. stopping trip. Yeah. Yeah, it was two days across the country, man. It was it was one of those trips where, you know, your heart beating fast and you're nervous and you know you don't know nobody and you don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, but but you bet it all on yourself. You know, right. you bet it all on you. Right. There you go. And sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to do that. Now, now speaking of that, just a little bit different. I heard you say once that um, be undefeated today. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah, um, you you can't do nothing about yesterday, right? Yesterday is done and over with. Um, and you know, a lot of people get stuck in yesterday, you know, the things that, whether you won or lost, you know, you get stuck in yesterday, um, whether it's celebrating the wins from yesterday or drowning your sorrows in the, the bad things that happened in yesterday. But every day you wake up, you get a new, you get a new opportunity. And so, you, you know, the idea of showing up every day to win, you know, regardless of what happened before, regardless of who on your side, regardless who on your team, who who got your back, just showing up every day to win. That's that's what it's about. That's why we that's why we're here. You know, right. we're here to, to win and you're supposed to have the things you want. Um and I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like you're supposed to have the things you want. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. And you know, one of the things that, that Coach Clinton used to say is if we win, we celebrate it for twenty four hours. If you lose, you mourn it for 24 hours, then it's done. I don't want to hear anything else about it. And, and that's kind of what you move on. What you're saying. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. You move, move on. You, got, you have to move on. Yep. Well, good. Now, one of my favorite sayings is um, to not miss your goal by 18 inches. And what mm. I mean by that is your mouth, the average man's mouth is 18 inches from his heart. And this ties back into a biblical perspective as well, where it's, it's, you know, believe with your mouth or believe in your heart and speak with your mouth um, that Jesus is Lord and you are saved. But from a sports perspective, I think believing in yourself is vital. Mm-hmm. To you, how Believing in yourself and, and obviously you believe in yourself Because you bought a one-way ticket From South Carolina to Texas But how important is believing in yourself um, To finding success it, it's, it's everything If you think about like belief And what that means right? Nothing can't be real Or nothing can't exist If you don't believe it It don't, it don't matter what it is Right you know, I could tell you all day that you're sitting in a chair, but if you don't believe that's a chair you're sitting in, mm-hmm. you're not going to accept what I'm saying, right? And so right. your ability to believe in yourself is what makes those things real. 
whatever you want becomes real the minute you believe. Like, the minute I got on the bus made my dream real. Right. And I had no idea that the NFL was going to be there. I didn't have any idea that I was going to own companies and, and have employees. I didn't have no idea those things were going to happen. But the minute I believed in myself and got on the bus, all those things became real. So you can't you can't have nothing nothing is real until you believe. Right. Right. You gotta believe first and foremost. Which is nice. Now on and you Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, and I'm and 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 you don't even have to have a good reason to believe. Just find a way to believe, you know, like <laughs> nobody like when when I got on the bus to go to, to go to that school, nobody thought it was a good idea. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like, you don't have mm-hmm. any money. You don't know anybody. You're not even right. enrolled in the school. You know, you know now, how you know you're gonna get in the school. Let me ask this question: Why did you pick that school? It was a, it was a, the last school I heard of that somebody actually told me about, and they had a basketball program. It was a random thing. It wasn't even like strategic or anything. It was just I heard about the school. Somebody said, hey, they got a basketball team. And I was like, hey. <laughs> and, and, and I jumped on the bus. Wow. Wow. Hey, which, once again, you show belief in yourself by getting on the bus to begin with. Um, and now, just as you look back. And, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say because you had you had mentioned you had mentioned something about uh, kind of a, a biblical concept, but I mm-hmm. just to go deeper with it, I don't believe that it's 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 almost connected. Your ability to believe in yourself shows that you believe in God, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. if, if I can believe in something that God created, if He created me and I can't believe in me, then how can I believe right. in the Creator? It's almost like it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to believe in me, right? Because like, yep. I exist. Because he made us after him. So he's not going to make anything that shouldn't be successful. So I got to believe exactly. in myself that I'm going to be successful. Exactly. Mm, that is definitely a, a, a great great way of looking at that. A great way of looking at that. And uh, something else just sort of that you've been through a lot and uh, there's a lot of people that's chasing success that don't find it. What do you think the biggest obstacle people face when they're chasing their success? Yeah. Uh, it's only one obstacle. Um, you, yourself. You're the only obstacle, right? And so having the ability to, to, to say I want something and do everything in my power to achieve it mm-hmm. and not stop when it gets hard or when it goes wrong, like, that's all you. Like, if somebody says something negative about me or somebody says, man, your company is not going to make it, or someone mm-hmm. says, man, you know, that's not a good idea, and I believe it, that's on me. Right, right. 
You know, and so it's it's very hard for people to accept that they're the reason that they don't mm-hmm. have what they want. Yeah, that's, that's a, true. That's a tough thing to chew on, right? Like it's 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 a tough thing to to look in the mirror and say. Every time I got cut from a team, every time a deal didn't go through, I had to look in the mirror and be like, "It's me." Exactly. And when you do that, you get better. I, I tell people all the time, like, you, the, the, you, you know, like, the game don't start until you fail. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just like football. Like, the game don't start until you get hit. Once you get hit, you're like, okay, <laughs> yep. it's real out here. You know, it, it, we're playing now, right? And so it's the same thing yep. in life. Like, the game don't start until some adversity show up. Mhm. It's true. easy for me That's to play. I'm, I'm out there on air, right? I don't got no a- yep. opposition. Hey, but when I get it's hit, kinda like, that's when the game really exactly. Hey, it's kind of like uh, a lot of teams win all these seven on seven tournaments, and then mm-hmm. they go five hundred during the season. No, yeah, because they're not getting hit, and then all of a sudden, you know, hey, when you get hit in the mouth. You get going and realize whether you're going to get up or, or you're going to go on and, and put your uh, tail between your legs. It's kind of like this. There was uh, um, one of the schools I was at. I had a running back that ran hard. He ran hard. I mean, it was he was a true freshman, and, oh, my God, he ran so hard. And I mean, it didn't matter what was going on. He would break tackles. He was like, this kid's going to be really, really good. Man, we played University of Pittsburgh, and I don't remember the kid's name, but his number was number 55. He hit that kid. That kid never ran hard like that again. (laughs) (laughs) What they say, they they always said that the Oklahoma drill made more basketball players than any other drill in in the game. Exactly. And and that's fact. That's fact. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it is true. When you get hit in the mouth, you sort of figure out that's what you really wanted. And, and that's the and that's in everything in life. Man, I tell people you you get ready to start a business, and you're gonna invest your money into it. Mm-hmm. Like, just know you might get sued, or you might go bankrupt, or you might you know you know lose a customer or a key employee might quit. Like, just know you're gonna get hit, but the the, the hit is not the big important thing. Right. It's it's really how you respond to it. What's mm-hmm. next? What's after the hit? What do I do? Do I get up? Do I do I brush the dirt out of my helmet? Do I put my mouthpiece back in? You know what I mean? Do I straighten my jersey up? Get back in the game. Yep, that's true. That is true. You know, some of people's some of people's biggest issue is they're afraid of embarrassment. Mm. Like I don't want to be embarrassed. Mm. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to look like I'm not successful, or I don't want to mm-hmm. look like I'm losing. Or, but what, what? That's about somebody else. That's not about you. It's not about that's you. A, that's about other people. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. I got hit. You know what I mean? Like yep. I, I remember yeah. coming home. You know, after I got cut, and everybody was like, "What? What's going on?" When you, I'm like, "Look, I got cut." You know what I mean? Like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got, I got released. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's it's a part of the thing. It, you know, you deal with it. You know, your fear of embarrassment can't stop you from your dreams or, or being mm-hmm. successful. 
Right. Yep. That is true. That is true. But unfortunately, it does stop a lot of people. It stops a lot. Yeah. You know, you you can't be afraid. Like, I'll mess up in front of a whole bunch of people. I Mm -hmm. I spoke in front of thousands of people. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I remember one time I got up to speak and forgot everything I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it was just. It was just one of those things. It was just a free thing. Right. I, I stood up, walked up to the front, and I couldn't remember anything. Wow. So what'd you do? And you know what I told myself? I said, they have no idea what I was about to say anyway. <laughs> and so I started talking. <laughs> they, they didn't know what I had planned. That, that's true. That is true. You know, and eventually, eventually, it all came back to me. You know, once I started talking, right. it all, you know, popped back in my head. Right. But you have those moments where somebody else might have ran off, ran off the stage. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. just, yep. you just, you just got to understand who you are. Right. And that's that's very important. Very important. Now, you talk about who you are. We talk about success. Um, we talk about adversity. What piece of advice um, would you give a young person who's chasing their dream of playing collegially or professionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the first thing is go go after it. You know, go after it with all you have and give it all you have, right? And then the, the second part of that is if it doesn't work out, just know that there's something that was left, like something remains after that, right? Like everything that you did, everything that you went through, everything that you had to conquer to go through that process is valuable in another area in this world. You know, mm-hmm. it's like everything that I had to do to get to college, everything I had to do to graduate, everything I had to do to get to the NFL now makes me successful in business. And so once you gave it all you had, right. let it go. You know, like if right. you don't make it, let it go. If you make it, great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of people get hung up on it when they don't make it. Right. And I'm right. like, that's that's not a failure. Yeah. yeah. That's uh and, and I know I've been there, that that's a bad feeling. When uh you're expecting the opportunity to play and all of a sudden, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that man comes and says, Hey, you're a good player, but you're not good enough to play for us this year. Pack your bags and uh, thank you for joining us. Yep. You know, it's uh it's not a great feeling, but again, the key is what you're going to do next. What's next? And and I think well, it is you so got to know that you're not you as as a human being, you got to know that you're not just one thing. Exactly. Like exactly. like God didn't make me that way. Right. You know, he didn't make me just to be a football player. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that I was fortunate enough to be my dad's six eight. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't do anything right. for that. You know. Right. right. Um, and so he didn't make me just one way. He he put something in my head first. I got a brain. Mm-hmm. And so because I have a brain, I can utilize it any way I see fit. And yep. so I can't get stuck and locked down on one thing. Even like my company right now. I love my company. I love what I do. But I'm not just mm-hmm. stuck on it, right? Like if it, if it all falls down today, I do something different. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not gonna now die with my company. 
Are you still in real estate or are you doing something else? I'm sorry? Are you still in real estate or are you doing something else? Oh, yeah. So um, I started a recruiting firm for professional athletes. Um, okay. Basically, we work with Fortune 500 companies, large companies to place athletes after their careers um, into uh, new careers or second careers. Um, and we created software around it to be able to help identify the strongest assets and abilities and, and, and skill sets and all those things that really maps to certain positions and roles in these companies. And right. so you're talking about large companies, multi-billion dollar companies. Um, and so we helping them fill these roles and positions. Um, and it's really cool, in my opinion, what we're doing because we're able to start rolling out this software that's helped companies identify uh, real candidates based upon groups. So athletes will be a group, veterans will be a group, stay-at-home moms will be a group, right? And so we help them put a value on what these groups mean to that market because there's no way to really quantify that when you think about it. Right. Like how do you how do you quantify being an athlete and how that adapts to being in this position in this role in this company? And so that's what we do. Okay. That's good. That's good. The, um, we, we definitely got to get together, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely, hopefully, we can get you back on again because there's two things that, that we hit on that we can talk about for a while. One, what you're doing with your company, and then two, um, about you just not being a football player or you just being a basketball mm-hmm. player, that you're Corey Jackson first and, and yep. not – the football player that happens to be named Corey Jackson, but that's, that's that could be a yep. whole another conversation. So, but uh, hopefully we definitely enjoy your time with us, and hopefully we can get you back on again sometime soon. And you and I definitely need to uh, get together and hook up sometime. Um, but we appreciate it. I look forward to it. And we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. Hold on.
Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We are starting hour number two. I have my co-host today, Mr. Kiwan Ware. And we have our next guest, a good friend of mine, had opportunity to coach with him back at USC, uh, Mr. Josh Hinch. Josh, how's everything going? Everything's good, Everett. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Now, another thing that Josh has had the opportunity um, to come to one of our camps, and we definitely appreciate that. Josh, what did you think of the camp um, when you had opportunity you know, to come out? You know, I absolutely loved it. You know, I first and foremost, I just wish I could have came out to, to more, you know, and I'm still open to do right. that. But the one that I did attend, you know, I had a lot of fun. And, and you know, first off, you know, it was well organized, and, and not just from that standpoint, just overall, I think the kids really – you know, got a lot, a lot from it, from that afternoon's worth of, of work. Um, and, mm-hmm. of course, the coach that you had working there um, with, a, I mean, a lot of experience. And, you know, I I learned, even I learned a lot from just coming from the camp and, that, and the, the little hours that I was there. So, you know, I, I right. would definitely love, uh, recommend it. Well, good. Well, we definitely, hopefully, um, COVID's going to allow us, it's going to be gone by then and allow us to get back out uh, but we will have our camp that last week in June, um, as long as we can. We'll make sure that everything is good because we want to make sure our kids are safe. But if it is feasible, we will have our camp that last week of June. It'll be the 25th, 26th. That Friday night, we will have a banquet, and then at 26th, we will have camp. So definitely put that on your calendar. Um, but Absolutely. tell us a little bit about yourself and about your journey um, from, from the college days to, to where you are now. Yeah, so pretty much all in a nutshell, man. I was, I've just been a, a man of faith and and going on my my gut instinct. You know, us as athletes or or just anybody, you know, you got to go with your gut. You hear it all the time, but that's something that you know has really kind of propelled my career. Um, so so right. I started. I was a walk on at South Carolina, um, from 10, 2010 to two thousand twelve. Uh, so I graduated in the summer of two thousand twelve and uh, got right on, on the coaching route um, at a Division three in, uh, in, Bron- in the Bronx called SUNY Maritime College. Um, that experience was uh, unbelievable. You know, when you're starting off and you take an entry position, it's not about the money, right? So I was mm-hmm. coaching running backs in a, in a triple option, you know, type of scheme, and I was running intramurals for the college. Um, it's kind of similar to, like, the Citadel, so to speak, from a regiment standpoint. You know where they have, you know it's, it's you can say strict, but you know they have uniform a uniform uh, process that they have to go through and certain requirements, and they have to go out um, international and trading and out to different countries two times out of their four years and able to graduate. So that that experience was different for me starting right out the gate. Um, but I was there from. When I graduated to December of 13 and wore a lot of hats too, right? So I was part of the equipment and the field setup and, you know, recruiting and the whole nine, right? Just just getting my feet wet, um, being, having a real job out of college. Um, so uh, straight from there, um, I had a, like I said in, at the very beginning, I had a, a gut feeling that I wanted to, you know, do more and get back to the Division One ranks. So um, in January of 2014, I took a, a strength and conditioning internship 
I'm with you back at the University of South Carolina, um, where uh, Joe, Joe Conley was the head coach, and now he's currently at Arizona State. But he, he brought me on, and I was able to work with football, track and field, uh, men's soccer, and that's where we crossed paths and were able to um, link. And I was helping out with the coaching staff, and that was a great experience for me too as well, getting back to that level that I knew I, where I wanted to be at. Um, and then right. after that uh, is where I met. Um, during the summer, you know, we have summer practices and visiting coaches come to uh, check out uh, practices and everything. Uh, coach Randy Bates, who is linebacker coach at Northwestern, he came he came to South Carolina, and I met with him and, you know, to show them around, took him to the field, and, de- and developed a relationship with him to a point to where he wanted me to come to Northwestern. So that's how – that's just kind of how it's been going for me is just meeting people and gathering relationships and that's how I got started in the question. And that's where I really switched over from the coaching to the recruiting side of things. Um, so Northwestern, took, I took that full speed on with recruiting, um, handling all types of visits. Uh, and with that regiment, and it's such a highly uh, accredited university and, and such a high academic requirement, I learned a lot from that aspect as well. Um, I love that. That took me to an opportunity to – um, get my first NFL opportunity in scouting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2015 um, until 2018. Uh, and that's, that's why I'm currently still in Tampa. Um, but then I took some ventures out with the alliance of the spring football with the AAF and the XFL. Nice. Now, with the AAF and XFL, you were the director of uh, player personnel. Now, before I get there, let me let me back up for a second. Um. Was Clayton Kendrick Holmes the head coach at Maritime? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so he, so, you know, he has some Citadel uh, ties and the Navy yeah. ties. And that's, now that you say his name, he's the reason why him and uh, Ellis Johnson, who was the D coordinator at the time, he recommended me because I did such a great time, a great job on scout team. You know what I mean? So my two yep. years there, I was on scout team and, you know, and I was on the second string and, and trying to work my way onto the playing field at USC. But my, for me, just working hard in practice would enable me to get my first coaching job. Right, right. Yeah, now Clayton right. and I yeah. together at Citadel. So that was, that was, I was like, wait a minute. The Bronx, that's what made me think of it. Then you said, man, I was like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, and then, yeah, uh, awesome dude, awesome dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. His son Bo is now huge. I don't know if you if you've seen any pictures of him recently, but um, yeah, he rugby. The now before I before I get to another question, um, let me ask now, mm-hmm. and, and well, let me make a statement. Northwestern Marty Long, the defensive line coach, um, was actually the guy that recruited me to the Citadel. So I got that he is one of my mentors. <laughs> so he had an opportunity to work with one of my mentors. Yeah, another awesome dude, and that's you know once you cross paths with Marty, you're just fortunate to you know to be yeah. around in his company. So that's yeah, always exactly. a great person. Exactly. Now, let me just sort of shift gears a little bit. <clears throat> um, staying back of where you talk about what you did to help you get your coach first coaching job, the scout team. Most people don't want to be on the scout team and just sort of turn their nose at it. 
Um, did you learn anything when you were on the scout team uh, from a football perspective, from a work ethics perspective? Um, or did you learn anything there? I, I learned a lot, you know, from being able to always have goals and set goals to be able to, to, to reach the field for one. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of things, like some guys come in as five stars, four stars, and automatically get that limelight that, you know, that they think are on the field. But in, in my career, in my time at USC, it didn't matter, you know, what, what you were. It didn't matter how you came in. It, it mattered uh, what you did while you was there, how hard you worked. And being on the scout team, it, it, it really taught me a lot. And being able to go against the first rounders like Stephon Gilmore and, you know, Davion, and, you know, and, and it goes on, right? The DJ Swearingers of the mm-hmm. world. And, and it just, iron sharpens iron. iron. That was my, yeah. my, my mentality. And, and, and that's what, you know, got me through. Exactly, exactly. And, that's, and that was it. And, you know, I spent my freshman year on the scout team as well. And, it, and to me, it was we sort of had in our mind, we're going to do what we can to make the first team do up-downs because if we can score on them, they're going to have to do up-downs. So that was our – that's how we got our excitement going and doing some things like that. So, But I, I think um, learning down there and, and having an opportunity to, to go against the best helps mold you into a better player, into a better person because it's something that – and you've been around me, so you, I think you heard me say this before – it takes no talent at all to know what to do. Right. So you got to go in and make sure you control the things that you can control, um, such as your effort, your attitude, and your knowledge. And, and those are the things that you can control when you're on a scout team. And, and if you yeah, do a good job doing that, that's going to roll over into some other things, and, and that's where that work ethic starts. But shifting gears again, um, Again, in the AAF and the XFL, you're a director of player personnel. What is that exactly? So, in a nutshell, it's just overall roster management. So, you're, you're overseeing the roster, you know, the day-to-day operation um, from a director of player personnel standpoint. You're kind of you're not so much in the grind as you were as far as being a scouting assistant or just grinding tape, watching, creating evals. Um, and so forth. You really got a uh, got a really good hand on the overall operation of the football team. So um, is the second man to the general manager. So basically, you're the right hand man to the general manager. And, and in my case, in XFL, the general man- manager was the head coach. So right. you know, you know, being being a head coach is enough in itself. So I was essentially exactly. the general manager. You know, so working directly with the head coach and you know, just trying to team up with him um, in a short period of time to put the best team together as possible. Mm-hmm. The, um, now, as you're putting the team together, as you're looking at athletes, what are you looking for? So what we're looking for, and it, it varies for, for every team, right? But for me, you know, it's very uh, – Let me before I start, let me just say it's a very opinion-based business. Right, so when you're talking about scouting, scouting and evaluating, you know you 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 have to go on your opinion and what you see from your eye. Um, so, but from to answer your question, what we're looking for in an athlete, um, for me, uh, is just basic philosophy. You know, so 
first you got to know your team and know how you evaluate in your system and process so you can able you got to know who you are first before you can go and seek other people you, you know to to join them along to the team so after so athletic ability is number one, obviously, right? So they got to have right. athletic ability because at that level, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the NFL, but it was it was still professional football from a sense exactly. where these guys were good. They were good enough to play. They just didn't have they maybe they were off the season or maybe they you know it was position full um, and they they needed another year. Um, and a lot of those guys actually got contracts after these done, but. Athletic, athletic ability is number one. You know, there's functional mm-hmm. athleticism and there's, and there's reactive athleticism. You know, functional athleticism um, is more, for me, is more for offensive players, right? So, for example, uh, offensive linemen. You know, he may not test great, you know, at the combine or at his pro day, um, but when you look at the tape, when you look at the film, he, he's rarely on the ground. He has good body control, quickness. You know, overall, um, he wins his battles uh, from play to play. Um, a, a good example of that would be the uh, Ravens tackle Orlando Brown Jr. You know, he tested horrible at the uh, NFL Combine, but he's a Pro Bowl player. You know, so and reactive athleticism is more to me defensive for defensive players. Um, strip explosion, you know, quickness, being able to react um, quickly because you're already at a disadvantage. You know because of the offense is knowing what they know what they're doing and you have to react. So having that reactive athleticism um, is everything for a defensive player. Mm-hmm. All right. Now what about from uh, off the field stuff? I mean, I, I would imagine, uh, I know they haven't taken some type of uh, uh, test and, and, and always getting to know kids. Um, what's important from that aspect? Just the character and the personal and the behavior aspects of a player is just as important as the athletic ability. Um, so when you get to that level, to the NFL or even college, you know, it what you do early on in career, it, it only follows you. It's basically like an athletic resume, right? Whatever you do, good or bad, is going to go on your athletic resume and that's what, you know, when you start to get these opportunities to get in the NFL, that's what, that's what we look at. So the character is basically just, you know, does he have um, a good work ethic? You know, how is his a level of integrity? Uh, just overall uh, off-field issues, does he have arrest? Does he have, has he been suspended? Does he have academic problems? Um, has he had positive drug tests? You know, everything, going back to high school, did he did he miss school? Did he not practice well? Was he a team, was he a team player or not? So all those behavior factors come into, come into play, um, and you put, it, you put those together with the athletic ability. And sometimes the behavior and the character outweighs the athletic ability and takes the guy off the board and, not, and, and just limits and just stretches his chances just off of his character off the field. Wow. So, once again, a person's character and behavior can take them out of the opportunity that they have to play professionally. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a job. You know, how players handle football as a job. It's not a hobby. It's not a hobby anymore. Of course, you know, you want you have fun, 
and you can do it all your life. But at a certain point, you get to a certain age, it becomes an actual job. And that's how it's looked at in your interviews, such as. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's important. And I think it's important for kids to understand, because I don't think a lot of them do. You know, from a recruiting standpoint, um, you tell a lot of them what you put on social media can get you unrecruited. Um, but it's also under, uh, good for them to understand that what you do can cause you not to get an opportunity to play the sport that you love at a high level. Um, we had a young man uh, at one school I was at that was, he was, uh, the numbers show that he was going to probably be a second or third round draft pick. Uh, he got into some trouble, uh, got into a club, went to a club, got into a fight. And he ended up not getting drafted at all. So to go from a second round pick to undrafted is a big difference uh, in the type of money that you're going to be bringing in. Uh, so your behavior has a lot to do with what you, with what happens with you on a professional level. Yeah, and, and, and you know to piggyback off that, you know, is how many guys are first rounders? You know, even right. even the guys that get selected in the first round don't pan out to be first-rounders, so to say. So mm-hmm. if you're, you you may take a chance on a guy with bad behavior if he's a first-rounder and if you think he's that type of Pro Bowl-level player. But guess what? Right. There's not that many of those guys. And if you have bad character and your background is is, is shaky and you have red flags, there's, um, there's thousands, thousands of other players that don't have that that teams will take chances on um, – Besides having having a guy with bad character, let's just put it that way. Right, right, right. Now, on the other side, um, sometimes you see guys that weren't necessarily lighting it up from a um, testing standpoint, but they have good careers in the league. Um, What kind of characteristics do those guys have? that allow them to, to play at a high level for a long time? The mentality. I think a lot of those guys have the mental capacity. So something that we didn't hit on was the mental part of the game. How smart How smart are you as a football player? Um, for you to be able to, you know, learn quickly and understand the game will take you a long way. Um, more than your so-called athletic ability, because everybody has athletic ability. Is what the what what makes you what separates you is your your mental capacity for the game. Um, so that's pretty much um, what, what I think you know separates the two, and just your overall your work ethic and uh, how you approach your craft. You know, and I'll be quick. I have a, I have an example of that. Um, Dearness Johnson, who was a, a hell of a player at uh, University of South Florida. Uh, but he he had a bad pro day. He, you know he's the all-time purpose leader for yards at this school. He but he ran a 4.85 as a running back at his pro day, and he had a he had a rookie mini camp invite to the New Orleans Saints, and that was just an invite, didn't get any guaranteed money, and he was out. I mean that he had three days to showcase, and he didn't make it. So he was he was out for a year, and he uh, he started. You know he's from down here in Florida, and he started. You know. Uh, you know, selling. He was catching fish and selling fish and just you know a, a real hustler. While also 
you know, keeping his craft and being committed and working out. And his opportunity came with uh, with us at the AAF with Coach Freddie, um, and we brought him along. And he was one of our best players. And and we we stopped playing in 2000, the beginning of 2019. And he got picked up with the Browns, and he's still with the Browns. He's on the active roster right now. He's the third running back behind Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt, and he's still there. And yeah. he's a he's a hell of a player on special teams. Okay, yeah, I remember him because I did an internship yeah. with the Browns you know, um, last year, and, and I was there through uh, through the mini camps and, and OTAs, and I remember him coming in. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. Is, he, I was wanting. Yeah, he's a great story. He's a great story. Okay. Good, good, good. And, and here's a, you know, we were just talking with Corey Jackson before, just talking about adversity and, and how, you know, it, nothing starts until you have to overcome some adversity. So I just wonder if he'd have ran a little bit better 40 and had a little bit better uh, time his first time around, would he have been as hungry as he is now? What do you think on that? Me, me knowing the individual, I would say yes. Just knowing his background and how he, how much he loves the game, and how much he approaches his craft, and how hard he works, I, I would mm-hmm. say yes. Um, but there are other other examples that it, it would be different. Okay. Now you are starting to do some consulting work, working with athletes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So right now, what I'm doing is is, is pretty much. You know, I took a took a step back. You know, when the XFL suspended operations earlier in March due to COVID, um, I, I really took a step back, and I was, what can, what can I do to help others? Um, through my experience, what I've been doing, what can I do to actually, you know, use my experience and give it to give it to other people? So what I've been doing is from I was actually coaching at a high school here in Tampa. Um, until two weeks ago. Um, so that whole aspect has been great for me too. But me being at that level, it it made me see things from a different point of view um, to how much help these guys need um, from from everything, from, like, from evaluations to getting uh, correct feedback to knowing how to approach their craft um, to n- knowing how to properly create their, their highlight films for coaches um, and do it in a professional way, um, how to go about social media, as you hit earlier, what can you do to promote yourself from that standpoint. And also, you know, being able to, you know, create your personal brand um, with how receives fit. You know, if you um, – because when, when, you're, when you're an athlete, you have a platform, you know, and how do you take advantage of that platform while you have it um, to be able to, uh, after you're done playing, to – put yourself in a good situation. And so that's what I've been doing from a consulting standpoint. I help um, from high schoolers to pro athletes, you know, from the high school standpoint, I give them NFL-level evaluations and feed unlimited feedback. Um, I also help right. them on how to properly create their highlight, um, how to how to send it um, so you're not doing a whole bunch of, you know, kindergarten stuff on it, and also um, social media to the pros to where I'm helping them with their own personal branding and logos and merchandise sales and such. Now, how can somebody find you to uh, try to get your assistance? So right now, 
um, they can just simply, you know, contact my, my phone number, my cell, or hit, um, email me, or also hit me hit me up on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is I'm at Hinch, H-I-N-C-H underscore Lee, L-E-E. Um, and uh, that's pretty much my direct line of, of how to uh, get get this service. And for me, it's not it's not about you know so so called a service. It's more of a a, a, a a help for others for athletes right. and being able to you know share my experience. Okay, so the best way to is on Twitter. That's at h i n c h underscore l e e. Yep. And my email, okay. my email is j j l hinch h i n c h two four at gmail dot com. Okay, well, sounds good. Sounds good. Now, before we go, as always, I, I like uh, everybody to give a little piece of advice. So, you know, to a young person um, that's striving for success, and of course, um, success to get opportunity to play at the next level. Um, what kind of advice would you give them? First and foremost, to you know, to take your craft seriously, uh, realize who you are, and if and if if you if you want to become a pro athlete, you got to start early at taking it serious and and really honing in on your craft. Um, be laser focused until it's over. You know, until you can no longer play no more. If that's your goal. Strive for it and don't let nobody tell you otherwise, right? So, and um, another thing would be uh, everything that you do, um, it's good or bad, goes on your football resume. Like I was saying before, you know, really, really think about before you hit the before you hit that send button um, on your social media what you're putting out there, and if if your parents would approve, if coaches would approve, if your teachers would approve. And if you have a second guess, then it's probably not a good idea to to, to put that out there because it, it will be, you know, it will be uh, looked at um, from college and pro teams. Um, and another thing I would just say is sur- surround yourself with good people, you know, with people that are like-minded like you have and have similar goals. Um, that is something that has really helped me out personally is to uh, have a circle of friends and colleagues that, that have the same goals as me and, and, and want to get to the same same place um, as, as myself. Um, and that's that's my main three things, I would say. Hey, that's some good three things, man. We appreciate it. Hey, we uh, really enjoyed having you on, and uh, definitely love to get you back on again sometime. Good luck um, with your consulting business. Good luck if you get that call to be a uh, another director of player personnel or a GM. Hopefully, um uh, you can get whatever your heart desires, and uh, we definitely look forward to getting you back on to join us sometime soon. Thanks, Everett. It's been a pleasure. Hey, the pleasure's all ours. But hey, we're gonna go to another quick break, and we'll be back here in a few.
whatever. But I found for me, chicken breast does not work with my body. Um, and the reason why is because the chicken is so chicken breast is so lean, it doesn't have right. really any fat on. So mm-hmm. the way my body works personally, if I'm eating something that doesn't have a lot of fat on it, it's harder for my body to process. So mm. instead of my body using that as fuel, it holds on to it because it it has such a hard time getting rid of it. Now, right. say I can I can eat fish, which also is a very lean meat, but fish is not very thick, you know, so your body can process it best. You know, it flows through your body quicker. Um, so just trying to find what is going to work best for you and how your body is going to respond to it is the hardest part of nutrition. Um, and a lot of times it's just trial and error, just trying to figure out, you know, if you're dieting, you need to write down exactly what you're eating. And if you're not mm-hmm. losing weight on what you're eating, then, you know, maybe we need to switch to something else. Or maybe you need to figure out what times of day, um, how far you need to space out your food. All those things play a factor in whether or not you're going to lose weight. Now, one of the things that I've said, uh, I believe, and my my wife doesn't necessarily believe. I often uh, I learned a long time ago that you have to eat to lose weight. Yes, yes, yes. That is exactly right. And most women would agree with your wife. (laughs) 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 Because I I used to be one of those women, you know, it's like we think if we starve ourselves, then we're going to lose weight. But, uh, you know, it really doesn't work like that. Um, Mm -hmm. When you starve yourself, your body just wants to hold on to everything instead of getting rid of it because then it doesn't know when it's going to get its next meal, right? (laughs) So we have to Mm -hmm. eat in order to lose that weight. We have to eat in order to build muscle because that muscle is going to help us burn fat. If we don't Mm. have muscle, we're just going to hold on to that fat because we don't have anything to help burn it. Gotcha. Gotcha. uh, Well, then, how how much importance should we put on cardio? It, it really just depends on what your goal is. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and it really just depends on how quickly you lose weight, how you lose weight. Um, but and for guys, you know, they tend to lose weight a lot faster. Most guys lose weight faster than females do. Um, you guys are lucky, mm-hmm. make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, because my husband, he can do, you know, 15 minutes of cardio four days a week, and he's dropping weight, you know, super fast. But I have to, mm-hmm. you know, be on the treadmill for 45 minutes before I lose one pound, you know, in a month. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, um, cardio is important. It's also um, very, and, you know, why do they call it cardio, right? Because you're getting your mm-hmm. uh, heart rate up. Um, it's working your cardiovascular muscles. So it's right. not just important for weight loss, but it's also important for um, your overall health. Because if right. you are not working, because your heart is a muscle, and a lot of people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to keep that muscle strong, which is the impo- most important muscle in the body, even if you're not working out you know, to lose weight, you still want to do that to be healthy. You know, we want right. to build our um, cardiovascular health. Um, okay. So people think 
and just, you know, if you want to walk around in the neighborhood, you know, some women do that to get their exercise great, but you want to make sure that you have your heart rate up. You're not, you know, mm-hmm. just strolling along because that's not working anything. Um, right. But to answer your question, cardio is very important. Uh, that is how we're going to lose our body fat. Um, and you can also do, you know, doing calisthenic exercises, you know, doing um, what I like to do now is whenever I'm lifting weights, I don't have mm-hmm. much rest in between my sets right. because mm-hmm. I'm going for a different um, look on my body. I want to try to lean out more. So right. I try to shorten my sets and do a lot of reps, which also mm-hmm. increases my cardio. Not only do I do, you know, the treadmill or the stair climber, I also incorporate cardio into my regular strength training. Right. Okay. Right. Now, go ahead. Go ahead, Kiwan. No, I was just listening. And, I mean, because cardio, you know, the misconception is that you have to do more cardio to burn to lose more weight. But, you know, like you know, Desiree saying, it's all about the diet. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting two and two together. Right, right. Now, let me ask this question. Another myth that I have in my mind that – Muscles gonna gonna burn sitting down, so therefore, um, as as I heard it put once, if I lift weights, it's gonna have my heart rate increase for an hour to two hours after I finish, but if I do cardio, my heart goes down ten fifteen minutes after I finish, so therefore I'll burn more lifting weights than cardio. Is there any truth to that? Yes, there um, there is some truth to that um, because what you're doing is when you lift weights, you're pumping blood mm-hmm. into those muscles, right? So right. Uh, I know when you, if you lift heavy, your muscles swell up, right? Because right. blood is pumping those muscles. And it's going to take a while for that blood to, you know, dissipate. Because, you know, if you notice it takes a while – for them to, you know, contract and for you to go down a little bit. Um, you may find that you're still sweating like an hour later because those muscles mm-hmm. are still working. So, right. yes, you're going to burn more if you're um, using those muscles. And that's why it's important for females to lift weights. Um, mm-hmm. the, what the biggest misconception is that if a female lifts weight, she's going to be bulky. Well, no, that's not right. the case. You're, you're only going to be bulky if you want to be bulky. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if I want to be bulky, I lift heavy. And at one point, I, I was very bulky, but that's what I was going for at the time. Um, right. So for women, they have to understand it is very important for them to lift weights. You don't have to lift heavy weight, but, you know, lift something because that's going to help build that muscle to help maintain, either maintain your weight or to help you lose that weight. Um, so it really should be used in conjunction with the cardio because the cardio is going to help you burn um, more fat, and it's also going to help you burn your trouble area fat. Right. Now, again, I'm going with a myth. Can you target a trouble area, or is it just, or is it possible? Well, that that is a good question. The answer is yes and no. <laughs> so there isn't a definitive answer. Um, the reason why is because 
your body holds on to fat in a particular area depending on how you're, you know, how you're built, what area burns mm-hmm. fat fastest. So for me, I'm bottom heavy. My top half is small. So when mm-hmm. I do gain weight, the first place that I lose weight is always my top half area. And it takes forever for anything to come um, from my lower half. Right. Uh, so what I do is I like to focus. So I do legs twice a week because my legs are my trouble area. And the reason okay. why I do that is because it helps me to build muscle in those areas. And the, by building muscle, it's going to help me to continuously lose fat. Um, I use focused exercises um, because one of the things that people don't understand is just because you're doing an exercise, it doesn't mean you're doing mm-hmm. it right, and it doesn't mean that you are working the area that you think you want to work. Um, so that's why uh, physical intelligence is a big deal when it comes to bodybuilding because you I mean, you see plenty of people in the gym, they're lifting weights, and they look like they have no idea what they're doing. They're just doing stuff. <laughs> So, so that's why it's important to know what you're doing and how to do it in order to try to spot those areas that you want to either, you know, build muscle or to burn fat. Um, right. So you can do it in that way. So say if I want to build my glutes, I want to lose some fat around my glutes, then, yes, I'm going to focus on that area. I'm going to focus on exercises that I know may do the top of my hamstrings or that may do um, the outside of my glutes because that's where I have the most fat and I want to focus on that area. So you can do that and you will notice some changes in your body if you do that. But that doesn't mean that, you know, all the fat in that area is going to go if it's the trouble area. It just doesn't work like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so to answer your question is yes and no. <laughs> all right. There you go. There you go. Now, we're, we're talking about all this, and you talked about how you you danced most of your life. How did the yeah. dance go bodybuilding? Well, um, I'm the type of person I, I feel like, you know, what, you have to push yourself, right? I always <sighs> have goals. Um, if I don't have a goal um, that I'm working on, I feel like I'm being stagnant. Um, so being a dancer, um, like I said, I'm very aware of my body. I'm aware of movements and how it affects my body. Uh, my husband mm-hmm. used to be a trainer. He was a personal trainer for like 12 years. So we've always really been into fitness. Um, I wasn't necessarily into, you know, really bodybuilding, but, you know, we did work out a lot, you know, um, and then it got to a point where I'm like, hey, I see all these people, you know, working out in the gym. I see these girls, bodybuilders, and they're posing and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, I think I could do that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I started, my husband was my trainer, um, and you know, he's like, well, you know, we can do this. And, you know, he's pushing me to do it. And I'm like, you know, I can do it. But I will say if someone does decide to do it, you need to be in the right mind frame to do it. Um, right. It's something that I would love to do again. But I know personally at this moment I don't have the mental capacity to do it. Um, most people don't realize how much of a mental and physical strain it is um, being a competitive bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why I decided to do it is because I needed something, I needed a goal, and I wanted to see if I can actually do it. Um, and to see, I would say it's 
probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, people don't realize how hard it is. The diet you have to have is very different than, you know, just a typical weight loss diet. Everything's structured. You have to eat a certain time of day. You have to, you know, your your meals have to be spaced out um, a certain, you know, couple hours. You know, it has to be definitive. Um, you can only eat certain things. I didn't eat fruit for probably about a year and a half, um, mm. and people would be like, you can't eat fruit? I'm like, well, I can't eat fruit because it has sugar in it, but it's supposed to be healthy. Yeah, fruit is healthy, mm. but it still has sugar, and I can't even eat sugar. Um, so things like that, you know, um, carb cycling, extremely hard. You know, I have to plan out every single thing that I put in my mouth um, on top of working full time, you know, going to the gym um, twice a day, having to do an hour of cardio in the morning and then weights in the evening and then another hour of cardio, you know, it, it was a struggle. But yeah. I was very happy, you know, with um, what I achieved. Um, I did it twice, you know, as hard as it was, but to finish and get on that stage and, you know, people tell you, you get on that stage, even if you're not a winner, you know, even if you place at the bottom of your class, you know, everybody is very supportive because not anybody can just do that. Even if you're at the bottom of the class, you're still better than anybody else that has ever stepped on that stage. Right. The, uh, and how well did you do? Uh, my first competition, I got I got top five um, in my class, and then in my second competition, I placed second. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do it again one day. Once once I get you know my mental state together and I'm able to focus on that, um, I'll try to do it again because I'm I want to go for first. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, as, as a competitor, you always want to be first, but, yeah. but just knowing that you, you did two and the worst you did was top five. I mean, that's pretty mm-hmm. good. That's pretty yeah, good. I, I don't, I hate losing, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, I, the, the first time I did it and I got, cause I got placed. And mm-hmm. I actually felt really, really good about it, you know, even though I placed fifth because the girls that I was competing against, they were amazing. And to right. place in the top five, I was just so grateful and I was so, you know, happy with myself for doing what I did. But when I placed mm-hmm. second, the second time, I was actually mad with myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was like crazy. <laughs> Wow. I got a second. But, Man, I should so have won this only, your, your only competition should be yourself, though. So right. I'm, I'm competing exactly. against a girl that plays. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine. Now, you said you. So you didn't eat fruit for a year and a half. How close were these two mm-hmm. competitions? Um, The first one was in April, and mm-hmm. then the other one was in August. So it was a very – I really didn't get a break. Yeah, about four months apart. Now, because I had an opportunity to coach a young man by the name of Josh Haney. Mm -hmm. And uh, you might know the last name, Haney, as in Lee Haney's son. So I had an opportunity to meet meet Lee on several occasions. And he just looked different. Um. 
when he wasn't getting ready for a show and and then when he was. So how does it change the weeks leading up to a show from your regiment besides that? The the, the biggest thing, um, and I, I never thought that this would be a big deal, but uh, the biggest change is your water intake. Um, so, of course, the amount of food that you're taking in is going to decrease because you want to continue losing weight. Right. But you start cutting down the amount of water that you drink. So, uh, especially the week of competition, you're basically dehydrated. And then mm-hmm. the day before and the day of, you're, like, not really drinking anything. Like, I was allowed to drink maybe a sip of water. But, um, and that's what's so amazing about uh, bodybuilding, what, what, what I found was so fascinating is being able to really physically see how food affects your body and how water affects your body. Um, so they, what they do is they call it carving up. So before a show, you know, you're, you're not eating any carbs that whole week basically before the show. So your body looks very uh, depleted. You don't, you know, even though you have muscles, your muscles don't look as big as they did, you know, two weeks before. You know, two weeks before, you're looking in the mirror like, man, I'm so buff. And then the week of competition, you look all scrawny, right? Um, mm-hmm. Your muscles are there, but because you aren't eating carbs, uh, what, the, what eating carbs does is they um, drive water into your muscles, and that's why you look bigger. And, you know, sometimes when people eat a bunch of carbs, you know, they feel like they're swollen. Um, that's because putting water into your muscles. So um, the day, you know, the week of the competition, you, you don't have any carbs, so your muscles are depleted. You look smaller. Um, you're also not drinking a whole lot of water, so you're dehydrated. Um, and what you do is either, and it really just depends on how your body responds. Um, for me, I found out that during the first competition, I ate, you know, all my carbs. What you do is you eat you know, a big cheat meal to get all your carbs that you haven't eaten in I don't know when to help build those muscles up. Well, during my first competition, I had my big carb meal the night before, and then I had, you know, a big carb breakfast that morning. Mm-hmm. Well, when I got on stage, I still looked flat. My, the carbs that I had eaten really didn't fill up my muscles that much. But when I came back that evening to get back on stage, I was big, and it was because mm. my body was taking so long to process my food that I didn't yeah. look the way I wanted to when I got on stage. But during mm-hmm. my second competition, you know, we realized, okay, this is the time of day that you need to eat your carbs. You know, you need to eat it, you know, for lunch the day before, not for dinner. So when we changed that, I looked a lot better on stage. So people don't realize, you know, little things like that are what makes a huge difference. And to actually see it change your body is fascinating to me. Mm. Mm. That, that is fascinating. <laughs> I never, I never thought about that. You know, I always as a, as a football player, football coach, you always talk about how, um, you know, the the night before is one of the most important meals. Um, mm-hmm. But I never thought of it in that aspect of affecting how my muscles are and everything. So that, that's very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. And that's why when you want a good workout, you get a carb up right before. 
There you go. There you go. So I'm going to have to go in and start doing some carb loading uh, before my workouts and see if that helps me out a little bit. But uh, but Desiree, we definitely appreciate it, and, and I'm definitely going to want to get you back on so we can talk more about this nutrition because I think it is so important, um, mm-hmm. not just for the everyday person, uh, but for our, our, our young student athletes that have aspirations of, of playing at the highest level, of them getting a good handle yeah. on their nutrition is important. So we definitely going to want to bring you back on sometime soon, so hopefully you can join us. I sure can. Well, good. Well, we appreciate it, and uh, we uh, hope you have a Merry Christmas. And sometime next year, probably the uh, first couple of months, we'll see if we can get you to join us again. All right? All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, thanks. Well, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. <laughs> Come Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Through the bricks and all his reindeer's 
Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with my co-host Kiwan Ware, and we're back. And our next guest uh, is a guy I had an opportunity to play ball with at the Citadel, Mr. Ronnie Gavin. Uh, Ronnie, how's everything going? Man, we're doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Now, he said we're doing the best we can, but he is he is broadcasting live from Montego Bay, Jamaica. So I guess he's doing pretty good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, he's they say they call it live and direct. Live and direct. <laughs> live and direct. Yeah, yeah. Live and direct. <laughs> yes, sir. Irie? Everything Irie. Everything Irie. Everything Irie. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, man. Good. Now, um, now, now, Ronnie, you've had uh, again. We talked about you played at the Citadel, but tell us a little bit about your career yeah. path up to this. Point. My career path up to. Sorry, you were breaking up. Oh, up to this point. So I know you just started a new job. Yeah. You're going to tell us your career path. Yeah. So after leaving the Citadel, um, and as you as you know, E. Sands. Um, when you're at the Citadel, it's a place where people, employers come looking to hire folks, right? And so right. Uh, I think in January of my senior year, I, you know, I had already locked down a job with a company that was nice. right there, headquartered in South Carolina, Milliken and Company. I don't know if you heard of them, mm-hmm. but they're out of Spartanburg. Yep. And, mm-hmm. um, and so um, they sent me to Chicago, and I did sales and marketing with them. Uh, for about five or six years, had a ball, learned a lot about the world, learned a lot about business, how to talk to people, how to sell uh, your ideas. Um, And I think a lot of that training, frankly, came uh, from how I was raised in my community, of course. But, you know, at the Citadel, you had to think quick on your feet. (laughs) So, So I was well prepared for that. I was well prepared for that. Um, and then after leaving Milliken, worked in Chicago there for a while, loved Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities in the country. Ended up working for them in Atlanta. Man, I left the corporate world uh, to go to seminary. Um, and so um, I went to seminary at Emory University there at Kansas School of Theology. After seminary, um, I volunteered in a couple of churches there in Atlanta and got into the field of community development and community organizing, um, worked for one of the country's biggest foundations, the Annie Casey Foundation, um, who's doing work there to help improve the communities there in Atlanta to build leadership and economic opportunity for folks. Um, left Atlanta after working for the foundation for about six or seven years, met my wife while I was doing that work in Atlanta, we picked up stakes, moved to um, Silver Spring, Maryland, where okay. uh, I, I ran a non-pro- nonprofit there. So, so transitioned into the nonprofit world and uh, t- trajectory from uh, uh, a local nonprofit to a couple of national nonprofits was doing community organizing work. The position that I just recently left was at the Democracy Collaborative um, as their vice president for racial equity and the democratic economy. That's a fancy way of saying, how do we actually uh, create the kind of economy where everyone can build wealth, particularly black people and people of color? And the, mm-hmm. the theory is, is that if black people are doing well, that means the whole country is doing well. 
And so um, did that work for about two and a half years and just started a new position a couple of weeks ago at the Greater Washington Community Foundation in Washington, D.C., um, where we're making grants to folks who are trying to improve their communities and help their communities thrive. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, just uh, you didn't really mention it, but you're in Montego Bay now. You own some villas in Montego Bay. <laughs> I, try, I try not to talk about it too much. Folks, folks, that, folks who are home in the winter storm, they get mad at me. I try not to talk about it too much. <laughs> but <laughs> Now, how, how did that come about? Yeah, you, good uh, question, man. So, so when my, my wife and I met, her name is Dr. Yannick Alicia Redwood, and she, she, she actually runs another foundation in D.C., uh, the Consumer Health Foundation. When we met in Atlanta, um, and you know how it is when you're dating, you know, everybody's putting their best face forward. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and then we got married. We started talking about, you know, our dreams. And one of the things that I said I wanted to always do was to actually live outside of the country or to have a property outside of the country um, so that right. I can go there and enjoy it with my family and friends from time to time. My, mm-hmm. my wife, Yannick, her dream was to uh, uh, run a bed and breakfast. And so those okay. two dreams came together one day when her auntie called us and said, I have a friend. But first of all, I heard y'all's dream. I've been listening. And I have a friend in Jamaica who knows of some property that's available. And so we came down, one thing led to another, and we ended up purchasing um, a property here in uh, Montego Bay, Jamaica, that was that we renovated a little, but it became mm-hmm. a vacation villa for us that re- basically my wife um, uh, really ran at, to meet her dream as a bed and breakfast. And so, you know, we put it on the platform of, of Home Away and Airbnb and folks would come out, come and rent it for days and weeks um, to uh, vacation and seclusion. And so that's, that's how it came about. Um, and uh, I can tell you more about the business and how we structured it. Cause it's a, it's a little bit, it's a, it's a little different than the traditional LLC that you hear about in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, um, now was this your first real estate investment? Uh, well, okay, it depends. Um, so, um, so my wife and I, uh, we had, we purchased a home in Atlanta, which is where we met. We still own right. that home there, and we rent it out to Georgia State students. And so, and we have our place in D.C. So, just from a real estate acquisition standpoint, uh, we do still have those two properties and this one. I, I would say that. Um, and this may be a little unorthodox uh, for, for some of your listeners. Um, my, my wife and I really, when we acquire a property, we don't really acquire it as an investment, so to speak, as we do as a place to, for us to live in, right? And so right. even the house here in Jamaica that we purchased is really a house for us to live in. It just, it just mm-hmm. so happened at the time we were living in the United States, and it was right. sitting empty. And so we, that's where the idea came to create the business um, uh, to, you know, help pay the mortgage here, but also to provide mm-hmm. jobs um, uh, for the folks who are here helping to run the property with us. Right, right, yes. Because, you know, a wise man once told me, if you don't ever have to mm. sell real estate, don't. 
That's right. <laughs> yes, sir, because they're not making no more land. And I, exactly. I know they taught us how to speak proper, proper English at the Citadel, but I said it the right way. They're not <laughs> selling no more land. No more land. Not anymore. No more land. No more. No more. They're not making any more land. Although the Chinese somehow, the Chinese, the Chinese, and the folks over in uh, uh, in uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, they've somehow figured out how to make land over water. But like, in the grand scale of things, they ain't making. They ain't making no more land. They ain't making no more land. Is it is it really land over water, or is it uh, a house on stilts? Well, you're talking about uh, you talking about uh, the folks in China, or you talking about yeah. uh, what we're doing here in Jamaica? No, oh, I don't know China. what that is, man. It's, it's listen, man. I don't know what that is, but like they got something going over there, man. We'll see. We'll see uh, what what time has to say about it, because that water exactly. is relentless. Uh, listen, listen. Watch this. He says that water is relentless, like that Russian attack that used to be at the Citadel when you was in that backfield. Relentless. Now, let me ask you this. Speaking of that, how did what you learned from Charlie Taft prepare you oh, Lord. For, for the ventures that you've been on? From Milliken to um, running a nonprofit to owning your own business? Man, that's a good question. I have to tell you. So um, I had, uh, Ever, you may not have known this, but I had two different coaching regimes when I was at the Citadel. You probably right. just had Charlie Tab, am I right? Yeah, I did. So, yeah, I, did. I had Tom, Tom Moore was there before Charlie Tab showed up. And I would just mm-hmm. want to tell you, Charlie Tab, uh, God rest his soul, that was a good man. Right, we, we didn't think so when we were in those practices half the time. But like, he was the toughest. He was the toughest human being that I've ever met. And like, you should—I don't know if you've had Gene Brown on the show, but like, Gene Brown mm-hmm. can tell you some stories. Oh man, we got to do that. Gene Brown tells some stories because he's a quarterback in the wishbone, right? right. Charlie Tab is the toughest human being probably that I've ever met in my life. Um, and I think what I what I learned from uh, under the tutelage of Charlie Taft and his staff, and as a cadet at the Citadel, mental toughness, man, just like, uh, you know, excuse the kind of vernacular, but like, we out here like the W Hotel, whatever, whenever, bring it on. And I remember when Charlie Taft said this to us. He said, we don't care what the defense is doing. We know what we're doing. And that, I think that's what I took away from Charlie Taft, right? It's like, what is your game plan? And, like, execute your game plan with precision. And that's, that's, what I, right. that's what I try to do, man. I don't have a lot of moving pieces. I try not to in my life. I try to keep things simple. And I try to stay focused on what it is that God gave me, right? And so because I believe that God gives other people visions and plans to execute. And I just try to – I try to live by and execute the, the plan that God gave me. And that's what I right. learned from Charlie Taft. I learned that from the Citadel, and, uh, and I'm grateful for it. It's taken me a long way. Yep. And you also learn from Charlie Taft, don't give no excuses either. Just get it done. That's right. That's right. Get it done. 
Get it done. That's right. Good. That's right. So, yep. Hey, um, now, we we sort of, we didn't stay on it long. You sort of talked about it. But you went mm-hmm. from corporate America to seminary. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what was the, the process? What led you to the seminary? And are you preaching in the church, or, or, or what are you doing there? Yeah. Esans, I'm so glad you asked me that question, and we circled back to that. Um, you know, you had pivotal moments in your life, and that, that was one of the more pivotal moments for me. Um, mm-hmm. Millican, Millican, you know, great company, um, and learned a lot about business and particularly market the marketing side of business while I was there. Got to do some, some traveling and um, remind me one day to tell you the story about, about when they hired, when the moment they hired me. It's the funniest story ever. But um, the thing about, I grew up in Miami, Florida, working class parents. Uh, we were just basic people, hardworking, and really hadn't seen, like, the rest of the world, right? My dad was in the military, so we moved from place to place. But, like, my dad, my mom, our family kind of kept our head down, right? And we just, we just grounded out. Well, well after mm-hmm. leaving college and working for a company like Milliken, man, I had a – and I'm going to tell you, this is a seminary story um, – you know, I had a company car, an expense account that was actually double or triple my actual salary. Um, and wow. I was on airplanes all the time. And let me, let me just tell you this one story. This, this is like the pivotal moment, right? I get a call from the headquarters. Uh, our, our division headquarters was in LaGrange, Georgia. They said, mm-hmm. hey, man, we got two extra tickets that came available to the Masters Golf Tournament. Can you find somebody to go with you? Can you find a customer to go with you? And I was like, what's the Masters Golf Tournament? That's how, that's how like, you know, I was, what's the Masters Golf Tournament? And they were like, just find somebody, find a customer, and let's go. So, man, so I find a customer. We hop on a plane from Chicago. We fly into Atlanta. Uh, we we uh, drive from Atlanta to LaGrange, and we hop on the corporate jet in LaGrange, right. and we fly over to Augusta. I ain't never mm. been on no corporate jet before. I don't even know how to act. I'm telling you the seminary story here. And so <laughs> we fly in. We fly into Augusta. We're, we're coming in, and I look down at the um, tarmac, and there's a right. uh, There's a line of Learjet on the tarmac waiting to de- where passengers are waiting to deplane. And I wow. said to myself in that moment, How in the world? Did God and the universe orchestrate it? So, like, I'm in this kind of um, place. And so I began to ask questions about, like, okay, what am I really supposed to be doing? And, like, is this what – is this the path that God um, created for me? And after a series of uh, uh, really deep reflections and pivotal moments, it became clear to me that the corporate arena was not the arena for me, that God was calling me to something else. And so I left corporate America, I think it was after seven years, right? And uh, that number seven is significant because it's a number of completion. And so and I, I went to seminary, and I did not go to seminary clear that I was going to be a pastor or uh, a, a congregational leader of a church in an ecclesial mm-hmm. setting. All I knew was that, much like me showing up at the Citadel, going to the Citadel, 
God was calling me to seminary to prepare me for the next steps of my life and what God had in store. And so, so yes, um, I'm ordained uh, in uh, the Baptist church um, and um, I'm a, uh, um, I preach uh, from time to time. I used to be a, a member of a congregation there in the Washington, in Washington, DC covenant Baptist UCC church served on staff there um, preached and uh, taught on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. I'm now a member of the Shrine of the Black Madonna, um, and um, just now coming into that fellowship. Uh, but I teach and I preach um, when friends, colleagues, or other folks who may um, have need for a preacher uh, call on me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Ethan, let me so, Ethan, let me say one other thing about that. My ministry, okay. though. So pre- preaching is a is a ministry for some folks. That's not my that's not my centerpiece ministry. My ministry mm-hmm. is building community. That's my ministry. And so the work mm-hmm. that I do in nonprofits, the work that I've done, I'm doing in foundations. It's how do we actually bring folks together to recognize and affirm each other's humanity and the spirit of God in each one of us. And I believe that if we could do that, right. We then actually have a world. I, I think we actually have heaven on earth if we actually find a place where we are affirming, not tolerating. We are affirming each other's humanity, and we are affirming the spirit of God in each one of us. And so, my ministry is about community building, and that's bringing folks together, particularly folks who um, are different than each other, um, bringing them together um, to build solidarity, to build mutual support, to build a sense of accountability to each other, um, to have each other's back. And most importantly, right. To keep those in our communities who are struggling the most at the center. That's really my ministry. And I've, I've been able to do that, uh, wherever I've been, um, since leaving, um, the Citadel, um, leaving Milliken, and certainly as I've moved into the nonprofit and philanthropic world. Nice, nice. Now, let's go. Let's go to since we we're on where you are in the nonprofit sector. Um, you are the vice president for racial equality and democratic economy. Yeah. What did that entail exactly? I know you just talked yeah. about building community. So. Um, You were breaking up there at the end, he's saying. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. said you were breaking up in your question that right at the end. I just wanted oh, yeah. to I got the full question. What did that entail? You know, um, you being the vice president yeah. for racial and the democratic economy. Yeah. So, um, so racial equity, right, um, is about um, how do you build and for us, it was an economic system. How do you build an economic system that um, responds to the reality of black people and other people of color? How do you build an economy uh, in a way that privileges the voices, the um, aspirations, uh, the choices, and the lived experiences of black folks and um, other people of color? And then how do you build the economy in a way so that um, the primary benefit, the, 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 what the economy primarily produces 
benefits black folks and other people of color first, right? And so right. that's what that's the equity that's the equity part of it, right? And you're seeing a lot of um, activity in sports and in the larger public square about racial justice and things of the like. So that's the equity part, the racial equity part. The democratic economy uh, part is simply this. Think about how our democracy, wait for it, is supposed to operate, <laughs> right? And so, um, so basically, it, you know, democracy in its purest form, and, and there'll be some folks who are in our network, ESANS, who want to debate the different kinds of democracies, but we're not going to get into that today. Democracy right, right. in its simplest form is one person, one vote. Right. Mm-hmm. It is the it is the people's will. It's the majority. Right. Of uh, the votes. Right. And so and it requires that people participate, vote, they debate in the public square, hash around ideas and that um, democracy is basically the process of deciding and, and governing ourselves. Take that same principle um, and apply it to the economy. That's all we're talking. That's what a democratic economy is. And when you put racial equity and democratic economy together, what we're saying is um, how do you actually build an economy that is, is driven um, largely by the votes, if you will, by the participation of black people and other people um, of color. The other key element about the democratic economy is that in our current economy, you have a small group of folks, and, and this goes to the business ownership piece, you have a small group of folks who are part of the ownership class. And capitalism says, well, that's the way it should be. You should have a small group of folks that own and the rest of us work for them. The democratic economy is the exact flip of that. The, it is how do we all become owners? Yeah, that's a revolutionary thought. How do we all become owners? And the theory, E. Sands, is if you have more people that are actually owning parts of the economy, owning businesses, creating wealth, um, um, exchanging wealth, um, I think you actually end up having a more self-interested populace and a more active political democracy. And so, the, uh, and so there's a link between how the economy operates, who controls it, who owns it, right. and the health of our democracy, which, which right now is a fundamental question for all of us, no matter if you're on the political left or the political right, whether or not you're liberal, mm-hmm. progressive, or conservative, right? There is a question in the country about the health of our um, democracy, and this is one way to try to get at an answer, and it appeals to folks on all sides of the political spectrum. So on that, you're saying how can we all become owners? Then I also Mm -hmm. think about, I I think about, and again, it's a, a mentality that some people have to get out of that, Mm-hmm. They don't see themselves as an owner. They just see themselves as a mm-hmm. worker. Um, mm-hmm. How do we open up? I think uh, those who are ready, mm-hmm. we should create the opportunity to make it so. And okay. um, here's the other thing I learned uh, from Charlie Taft, right? Make it so hot that other folks will want to jump in. Other folks right. will want to be a part of it. Right. And so make it so successful. Right. People love success. Right. That folks who may not see it right now. Right. For whatever reason. 
right? And, you know, we can't, we, we can't even be surprised if lots of folks right now don't see themselves as owners and maybe see themselves as consumers or, or workers, right, which is fine. Like workers actually, I think, drive the economy. Um, exactly. But we, we mm-hmm. shouldn't be surprised by that because the paradigm, the paradigm that we've all been sold, right, we got this in business school and we were at Citadel, right, is like um, is that only a few people are owners. And so part of the struggle, part of the reason why more folks don't see it is because the American paradigm of how the economy um, should work actually needs to be flipped on its head. Now, let me get biblical for a second since I'm a preacher and a pastor who's called ministry. There is a paradigm or a precedent for turning things on its head. I think, uh, I forget what book it was in, but it talked about Paul, I think it was Paul and Silas, who were called to turn the world upside down, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so, and that's mm-hmm. what we—that's what we—that's what we're talking about here. How do we turn our political democracy upside down so that the right. last will be first? The last will be first. Don't mm-hmm. make me start preaching on here, Ethan, because I'll do hey. it in a second. And I know we only hey, got a few more minutes. I was actually when, when we started talking about it, I, I thought about something that Jesus said: is the poor will always be among you. Um, uh-huh. which, with my last question, so I was kind of like, all right, uh-huh. if the poor love you be among us, we truly be owners. But he's, he's ahead, saying, can I respond to that? Can, can I yeah. respond to that? Please. Okay, so remember now. Hold on, let me see what time it is. Okay, we only got a few more minutes. I'll just say and this. I read we, that we passage probably. We can go over it. Okay, okay. Okay, I read that passage differently probably than most folks. And it took okay. me actually going to get theological training and wrestling with that scripture, the poor will be with you always, right? If you look at when Jesus is actually making that commentary, the poor will be with you always, he's, he's mm-hmm. actually on his way to the cross. And I think one of the versions of that, um, the, 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 there, there's a woman there who is actually using her hair to, like, anoint Jesus, right? And mm-hmm. it might have been his feet, but it might have been his whole body. Right. And if you remember, um, the I think it was there was some money. That was it. There was some money and they used the money got used to buy oil. I think this is the way the scripture went. And like the disciples got mad at Jesus and Mm -hmm. they were like, how come this money got used for this? when we could have used it to like buy more food, to save more people Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And when Jesus says, listen, the poor will be with you always. I think it was one, Jesus's, one of Jesus' most cynical moments in the New Testament. I think my okay. interpretation of that scripture is, I'd be, I'd be happy to like go to the Greek and all that with you on another show, but, but my interpretation is Jesus was saying to them, the reason why the poor will be with you always is because you will continue to be focused on frivolous things that don't have anything to do with people really getting free. Right. Mm. You will continue to focus on the thing that surely people need daily bread. Right. But I didn't come just to, like, provide folks with their daily bread. I came to change the whole system. This is why when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Rome. He's talking about changing the entire system. And what he's saying to the disciples in that moment is that because your mind is caught up in frivolous things, because you won't actually change your gaze from uh, the minutia of life to this whole system that is causing this suffering, 
because of that, because of your refusal to do that, the poor will be with you always. <laughs> but if you decide, if you decide to like challenge uh, uh, Rome, challenge Caesar, challenge Pontius Pilate, call into question the system that's producing the poverty. Right? If you are willing to pick up your cross and do that, then <laughs> we might actually be able to get rid of poverty. <laughs> but until I do, yeah, the poor, the poor are gonna be with you always. Right, right, right. right. So, yeah. So, anyway, man, uh, you got me going here this morning. I'm, try- I'm trying to get in the bed. You got me wild- riled up. Hey, you got hey, me riled hey, up. hey, another time we're gonna have to get you on so we can talk about that in more detail. We're gonna, we're, we're definitely gonna get okay. you that guy yes, here. Yes, and I gotta go read the scripture again to get refreshed. But I, I think I yes. got it just about. I got it just about. Right, 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 right. And I actually, if I remember correctly, and again, we. We'll go. We'll, like I said, we'll, we'll hit that the next time. But before you go, okay. this time, before you go, yeah. um, there's a lot of kids. You know, one of the things in recruiting, I'm always, you know, we're talking about what do you want to major in. Um, then my next question is, what do you want to do with that? And I would yeah. probably say, more often than not, um, regardless of of what they want to major in, a lot of kids want to be a business owner. They want to own their own business. Some of them don't have a clue. They just mm-hmm. like that's what they own. So, mm-hmm. a piece of advice: Would you give mm-hmm. uh, a young person that that has the aspiration of owning their own business? Mm-hmm. He said, "That's a great question," and I have a very simple answer, and it derives from how my wife and I actually started this business here at our uh, home in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, if it don't pursue business for just the money. Do something that you love. Find something that you don't have to tell the world this, but you would do it for free if you could. Right. And I just want to let you know, young man and young woman, I'm actually fighting for a world where you don't have to worry about money. But for the time being, we got to worry about money. And so <laughs> you, find, something, find something that you would do for free because it is your passion, because you love doing it. And it might even be a sense of calling for you, right? Do something that uh, makes you come alive. Don't do something because you think it'll make you rich, because you'll find yourself poor, right? If you do something that really is around what you're most passionate about, what you feel like you may be called to, something you have a special and unique talent to do, your business mm-hmm. is more likely to be successful because people will feel that passion and they will sense right. that call. Nice. That is great. That is great. Now, now, what if you just find yourself in something that you do where you got passion? Can you go on and, and do that and make your money and go do the other stuff for free? Yeah, you could do that too. I mean, lots of folks have done it. Um, uh, but I, I would say that's the hard way. That's the hard way. Yeah. And we, yeah. man, we only, listen, we only got one life. We only got one life. And, um, and I know plenty of folks, E-fans, um, I know you know this, you probably run across folks who are doing, who are in jobs, who are in businesses right now, and they are miserable. Exactly. And, and their health is bad, they're stressed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're on edge with their family and their friends. And I knew plenty of folks coming out of uh, college who were, for example, attorneys. Some of them started their own firm, and they were making gobs, gobs of money. 
in Atlanta. Right. Like, um, right. as they would say, they were balling. They were all balling, balling. But mm-hmm. when I talked to them, they were miserable. They were yeah. miserable. They didn't really want to be lawyers. They didn't want to be lawyers. But they went into law because they heard it was a lot of money. But they were yep. miserable. The families were miserable, right? The children were miserable. And so I just, you can do it, like, if you have, a, if you have a, an exit strategy, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I, I would say start with your passion first, not with the money. Right. He's saying, let right. me give you one other example of that. Let me give you one okay. example of that. And we, both you and I are going to get in trouble with our Citadel uh, 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 family because I'm about to tell a truth on some of them. There were a number mm-hmm. of folks who came into the Citadel thinking that they were going to major in electrical engineering and civil engineering because they, they mm-hmm. knew that's where the money was, that's where the jobs were, and so on and so forth. And that lasted for most of them for about one semester, maybe two. Exactly. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> so, they got in the middle of it, and it was, if you don't love it, if you don't love it, if you don't love it, it ain't going to work. And yeah. most of them found exactly. that out. And they joined me over. They joined me over in the business school <laughs> in second semester of freshman year, or maybe first semester of sophomore year. So go with what you love, uh, not yep. not with the money. Love, love, and the Bible says that too. Love overcomes all. Love overcomes yep. all. <laughs> that is that is true, man. Hey, man, it's a good word, man. Good word. But Ronnie, we will get you back on. So so definitely. Uh, yeah, let's do it, we'll man. And see when, and we can go a little bit deeper into that. Uh, that 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 racial equity and that uh, democratic democratic economy. So that's that's real interesting yeah. to me because one of yeah. the things that I believe um, that that we're constantly trying to hit on is financial literacy, and I think that's mm-hmm. so important um, for for people that have opportunities to play professionally and for those that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, most guys that have opportunity to play professionally, most of them are broke five years after they get out. Right. Um, right. We still got to learn right. the financial literacy piece. And, and of course, if you don't, mm-hmm. then of course, you still got to make sure you're financially literate. And, and that, you know, being a business owner definitely is uh, is a huge deal. Uh, but we'll, we'll get mm-hmm. to talk about that more. But, uh, I appreciate okay, you going man. on we'll tonight. And, uh, and again, I will get out to my team bay to see you as well. Come on. Come on. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> hey, we're going to go to a quick break. And we'll be back in a few minutes.
everyone. This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. I have my co-host, Mr. Kiwan Williams. I appreciate you joining us tonight. Man, this was a great night. Great speakers. It was a good night. We had a good night. Learned a lot. Yeah, man, it was good. It was good. You know, we started the day off with with uh, Corey Jackson. Uh, he had a great story. A basketball player that turned to be an NFL uh, player. So, um, so once again, you know, one of the things that I often say is that there's so many basketball players that are cutting their chances of being able to play professionally down considerably. Um, because yeah. nowadays, if you're six four, six five, six six, you have to have handle. And if you don't have handle, you need to come play football. Yeah, true, true. Uh, yeah. And the biggest thing is, is that it shows that the NFL is going to come. They're going to find you. If you're good enough, they will find you. Or athletic enough, they yeah. will find you and give you a shot. That's true. That's true. There's 12 plays in college. <laughs> 12, 12 plays. plays. And spent four years in the league. But, you know, that's good for the high school kids now. That's good for the high school kids now who didn't have a season. Um, right. To, to know that, you know, you can be recruited, you can be found. You know, just make mm-hmm. sure that what you do have on tape is good tape. Exactly. 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 And you know, another thing, just talk about recruiting. I think that uh as you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that aren't gonna sign a big class this year because they can keep those seniors. So I think there's gonna be a lot more walk ons this year this year than normal. So if you find yeah. yourself in a situation where you're walking on, get ready to get your grind on because every day is gonna be important. And if you go out and prove yourself, and, and uh, of course, I believe the, the the first and easiest way to get on the field is through special teams. So if you find your way uh, on special teams, you start doing something. Because if you were three, if you're a starter on three or four special teams, you are a starter in most head coaches' book. So find your way. And, uh, and if you can do that, then who knows what might happen. You know, we always Man. say find a seat on the bus, correct? Yep, that's it. That's it. That is it. And special teams is definitely a way to do that. And, and you know, one of the things, um, just speaking of special teams, and as I get to, we start talking about Josh Hinch, who was the director of player personnel for the AAF and the XFL, is unless you are a star player in the NFL, probably for the XFL and the AAF as well, then special teams is going to be the side factor for you. So yeah. one of the things that I used to do, I told my guys, if you're not if you're not on the two deep on at least one special team, you will not start for me. Um, so you got to do something special teams wise, because uh, a lot of times the way you're going to get your your opportunity to stay in the league or to get in the league and stay um, before you really get your opportunity your position is special teams. And uh, that that's such an important part of it. And that's then, how you again, make your first impression is through special teams. Yep. Before, because hey, not saying that I, I, I want you not to know what to do, but as far as special teams are concerned, if you are run fast and you're not afraid of contact, you can find your way on special teams. Yes. 
So, but hey, I agree. And then, and then we know started talking with Josh again about the director of player personnel, and I, and I think something that that he hit on, which is is so vital, is what you do off the field can affect your ability to do anything on the field. From a work ethic, a integrity, um, staying out of trouble, staying away from drugs, all those things can affect what happens to you on the field. Especially, you know, when you start when they start about talking about paying you money to play, they're gonna get going to your background. If you got a, a background where you got you missed up well really if you missed a bunch of classes is something that they'll take a look at. Um if you're in, in drugs or you gotten arrested a couple of times, those things will hinder you from getting the opportunity to play professional. And I think that's yeah, something that you know, like. you know his, his role as, you know, with player personnel, he he's more like you know, the definition of character is what you're doing when no one's watching. Right. Exactly. So it's mm-hmm. his job. His job to make sure that he's bringing in young men that are going to be professionals on and off the field. Yep. Yeah. Because the last thing they want to worry about is what you're doing um, when you're not in practice. And correct. If you, if they got to keep worrying about you, they're like, we can find somebody else and go cut you and go get somebody else to. To, uh, to speak to Miss Desiree, and uh, she was a treat and a really good conversation talking about nutrition. And uh, I, I'm sure my wife would be excited to know that I was right. uh, talking about you got to eat to work out. I'm not going to harp on it. I will let her know that I was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, I'm just amazed at how they can they can. Uh, "Quote unquote," starve their bodies for two days before yeah. um, a meet, and and then what time you eat will affect how your body looks when you get on there. Yeah, on that, that's that's uh, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. So. Um, before you go to the beach, make sure you know what time you need to eat. So make sure you look buff when you get onto the beach. Make, make sure you look real good. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, you know, we finished tonight with Mr. Ronnie Galvin, and he was a treat as well. Um, again, he has an interesting story where he was working in, in, uh, in sales and marketing and then drawn to seminary, and then he got into uh, the nonprofit sector. Um, but he does own his own business. He's in Montego Bay. They own a, uh, some villas out there. Um, but just, you know, what he was working with is talking about the, the economy and how there's the thought that there should be a small ownership class where in a true democratic economy, we want everybody to be an owner. And uh, And I definitely believe that if we get opportunity where more people than not are working to become owners, the economy is going to start to pick back up and, and rise, and then we can do a lot of things that you only thought about doing. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing I like that, that Ronnie, you know, touched upon was when he said, find something that you would do for free. Exactly. Um, you know, 
that's love and that's passion. And yep. if you have those three, if you have those things, you know, money, money isn't an object, right? right? I know we need, I mean, we need money for survival, but if you find that job that you would do for free, you don't need any money because you're going to be full from, from that, from that, uh, that occupation. Yep. Yep. Not about and, and you know what? Uh, I heard a friend of mine say once, um, especially to somebody when they when they just coming out of college, is don't chase the money. Chase something that you love. And if you chase something love, the money will come. And you know, for so many people, they're chasing the money and they're miserable, and all of a sudden their health is bad because they're stressed out, et cetera, et cetera. But do something that you love to, and then, and that's why. I've, I had love the opportunity I've had to coach college football because it was uh, definitely something I was passionate about. Um, and speaking of passion, uh, we got some conference championships that, that's coming up this week. Uh, conference USA, you're going to have UAB and Marshall. Who do you think is going to pull that one out? Oh, um, I think it's going to be an evenly matched game. Um, but I, I I think I think Marshall's going to get that one. Now, now Marshall, um, their one loss was to Rice. Um, yes. And and Rice got after him pretty good. Now Marshall got a freshman quarterback that's been tearing it up, and he's had a really really good yes. season. So I wonder, did Marshall just sort of roll in there and said, "Oh, this is Rice. We don't have to play." Uh, all we got to do is show up, and we're going to be good. And then Rice got after them, or, or were they they're in the right mindset? And Rice just like, dude, we're going to play out of our minds because we got nothing to lose. Um, well, I mean, but, Rice Rice hasn't played in a few weeks. You remember they they were going, they've been battling yeah. COVID all year. Um, yep, and true. you know, it could have been in the back of Marshall's mind is that we may not even play this game. Play, and yep. then, and then they had to play. Yeah, this is such a different year and so many different factors. Yes. Um, uh, and speaking of COVID, uh, Ohio State didn't play a couple of games, and they're actually going to play Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. So who do you have in that one? Can, can Northwestern? <laughs> do we? I mean, do, do we? Do we really have to pick that game? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> hey, Northwestern going to find a way. It's not gonna be a yeah. blowout. I guess that. It's not gonna be a blowout. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I know. Fitz will yeah. have those guys going defensively. Um, I just and 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 the 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 benefit, you know, in Northwestern's favor is that they've been playing every week, and right. uh, exactly. those guys yeah. are those guys are in shape, and uh, you know we're, they're gonna they're gonna be come they're gonna come ready to play. You know they're yep. you know and everybody's rooting against them. They're going to come ready to play. That will be a great. Yep. That's going to be a great game to watch. Yeah, yeah. Now we got Oklahoma and Iowa State. All right. Well, you know I think the quote of the year came from uh, Coach Campbell, didn't it? Uh, five star culture over five star athletes. Right. Right. Is it? Is it all right. So uh, I, I'm I'm going Iowa State right there. Oh, Oklahoma! They started off bad, but they they haven't lost since the first two losses, have they? I think they lost the first no. two. Or was it? 
they won one and then uh, lost one, won one, lost one. Is that what it was? I know they lost early. Yeah, they yes, they lost one in the big the Big Twelve and they went on a run. They just just kept going. Right. Right. So that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. We'll see. We shall see. Now the one. Go ahead, Laura. No, I'm just saying. And they, I mean, they're going against the, the, the redshirt quarterback who, you know, was it Spencer um, yeah. at Oklahoma? Who, who? I don't think he's been in a game this big with this magnitude. Right. So here we go. There we go. There we go. And then the game uh, that everybody in South Carolina is going to be watching. Nope, I'm not talking about the Clemson game. The Coastal Carolina. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sean McClears against uh, the Raging Cajun. A Coastal beat them um, earlier in the year, and now they get opportunity to beat them again. Of course, Coastal's ranked number nine right now, um, and the only loss that uh, ULL had is Coastal. So they are looking to find a way. Uh, to get that one back. And the thing is, over the last couple of years, ULL has been in the conference championship uh, representing that side. Um, but they've been playing App State, and App State has beat them every time. Um, Louisiana finally beat App State this year. Uh, but will they beat Coastal Carolina? I got my Yeah, no, I don't game. think so. Yeah, I, I got, got Coastal. Is that home, too? Um, yep. Yeah, you got to you got to go Coastal Carolina. Yep. Now, one of the things that that's gonna hurt attendance. Well, not really. Probably not. The other game, not in South Carolina, but the other game with the South Carolina team is Clemson and Notre Dame. Uh, of course, Notre Dame won the first one. Clemson's uh, star quarterback, uh, Trevor Lawrence, was not there. Is Recovering from uh, COVID, or or not necessarily recovering, but he was uh, quarantined. So who do you have on that one, Notre Dame or Clemson? I'm going go Irish, uh, and I mean I think that people are doubting Ian Book. I mean he's a fifth year senior, um, and mm-hmm. he, he he can play on a big stage, um, right. and this and that's going to cause some controversy for the for the Final Four. Um, because mm-hmm. Cle- I think Clemson's not going to make it. Yeah, well, Clemson lose. They're not going to make it with two losses. Yeah, you can't you can't take them with two losses? Because I mean, you got Correct. Texas A and M. Texas A and M, I think, is probably the second best team in the SEC, and and they only got one loss. And uh, so I don't know how you can take a two loss Clemson over a one loss Texas A and M. I don't think yeah. I can do it's that. There's so much controversy. You know how much the media, is, you know, wants Notre Dame to win. Um, number one, Clemson to be out. But then, right. it, you know, the the scrutiny of Notre Dame not being a full fledged member of the ACC at the same time. You know, right. they join the ACC for this for this season, and then they go ahead and win it. So think about that. Yep, yep, that's true. And then, but every other sports in the ACC does not football. So not football. Were they officially going to join the ACC? And, well, I, mean, I know that they got it. some ties with some games that they don't, they don't want to give up, you know, the SC right. game and, the, yep. the, you know, yep. the Navy games and stuff like that. Well, the the big thing is that TV money they don't want to give up. 
Correct, correct, correct. I didn't want to make the blatant statement, but, you know. <laughs> and then the, the SEC, you got Alabama and Florida. I guess you'd be crazy not to go for Alabama, right? I mean, Florida's coming off a loss, but I don't think uh, Coach Jaden is going home with a loss this weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, be good. Well, it's going to be a, a good a good week of football, uh, a college football, that is. And uh, just uh, interesting just to see some things that happen on the on the NFL level as well. My, my Steelers have lost two weeks in a row. Uh, actually, not it's not really two weeks in a row. It's two in the same week. So maybe it, was the, maybe it was the short week. Yeah, they didn't have opportunity to, to get the other loss out of their system. But, hey, it's all good. But we're uh, looking for another good week. Um, and then we get to get into bowl season, um, which I'm curious to see how bowl season is going to be. Um, one of the things, of course, I, I would imagine the attendance is going to be down uh, with the bowls which hopefully that means TV ratings will be up. But I think most of the, the bowls, the attendance and getting people in town is, is a big draw. Um, so curious to see how the bowl season actually turns out. And uh, yeah. so we'll keep our eye on that. But, hey, it was a good night. I definitely appreciate you joining me tonight. And uh, definitely love to get you to come join me again sometime. Um, but, uh, definitely will. Thanks for having me. And I got to get down to the camp. I got to get down. Definitely. Definitely. We've been talking about getting you down here for a couple of years, and so we're, we're going to make that yeah. happen. We'll, we'll be able to get out this year. Yes, sir. But hey, everybody, you all have a great night. Um, we definitely appreciate you joining in with us. And we look for you next week because we got another great show coming up next week. Um, everybody, have a great night. You have a good one, and uh, we'll talk to, to you, you later.